Do you talk first or I talk first? I'm holding for Huli. <laughs> well, as gaming <laughs> rises, the dice come to meet it. Broadcast live. You're listening to the Order 66 Podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the very first time, wowzer. <laughs> uh, welcome to the uh, rather non-standard episode of the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And I am joined here, as always, by two men of passion, panache, and uh, pointed, perfunctory... I've, I've lost P words. Guys, help me out. Give me... I need some more alliteration. Phil, Dave, what, what, what? I'm missing... I'm... I'm 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 at a loss, Phil. Dave, help me. Happy Purveyor holidays, of homies. prepositions. <laughs> Purveyor of prepositions. Thank you. Happy holidays, homies. Is that that's a good alliteration, but not in the P vein, Phil. I'm disappointed. Well, yeah. I'm sad. Oh, I'm terribly sad. <laughs> Hi, guys. I do what I can, man. I do what I can with what you've got. Mm-hmm. Um. How you doing, Chris? Oh, good, man. It's been a hell of a weekend. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, is kind of the reason uh, that we are we are here. And in just a moment, we're going to be welcoming uh, some special guests also onto the show. Um, but uh, before we do that, I really want to get into this episode and talk about it. This is a bit of a non-standard episode, listeners. We're going to be talking a little bit about the game um, of FFG's Star Wars system, but all very much in the context of Star Wars... Episode 8, The Last Jedi. And before we get to that, we do have some obligatory announcements to get to and some important stuff to talk about. So we're going to talk about it right now. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements, announcements. David, hey, do we have a featured podcast? Yeah, this week? so you know what? We've got a new featured podcast this week. And by when I say new, I mean new. The, uh, the brilliance of FFG's Genesis system, boys and girls, is upon us. And uh, if you're not already listening to D20 Radio's newest podcast, it's helmed by very own GM Hooli, which I have a feeling you might hear from in a second. The Dice Pool, what the hell is wrong with you? Double question mark. They've already dropped two episodes. The general 
first episode that discusses kind of the releases and initial thoughts of the core rulebook and a live play episode that gives you a feel for the system. So after you listen to our show, then go check out the Dice Pool and just do it now. I mean, do it quickly. Thank you. Find this. Many more great podcasts. www.d20radio.com Yep. While you're there checking out the great podcast, you'll also find the only gaming blog who regularly curses in binary. The brilliance of the d20radio.com blog. A place where the finest gaming minds come together to write the most astounding content and articles on Star Wars and many other gaming systems. Some highlights from the week are Ben Erickson's uh, return to his workshop series on 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons that gives us Avatar The Last Airbender Junkies a fix. Uh, this part one article stats out and discusses using airbenders and waterbenders in your 5e games. Tons of fun. Great work, Ben. Looking forward to the next article. And Scott Alden returns to his uh, The Path Less Traveled series with a deep dive into an often underutilized Star Wars specialization, The Gambler. How to use this spec and how to build it right. Great reading, Scott. You can find all this right now and tons more excellent content daily d20radio.com Yes, and while you're over there at d20radio.com you'll also see a couple buttons on the right hand side of the page. One of them takes you to our thriving, pumping, and chumping forum community. The other will take you to our thriving, pumping, and mega chumping Patreon. Or you can of course just head to patreon.com slash d20radio where you can, uh, honestly guys, if you're a fan of this show, you're a fan of the content we produce um, you're a fan of the network and you want to continue to support that space for creative geeks to get together, um, write, podcast, and share the love that we love of nerd, nerd, nerddom, uh, then chip us in a couple bucks a month. That's all we ask. We've got some other really cool pledge options out there for you as well. Um, and of course, social media. Stay in the know, guys. Follow us on the Facebooks. Uh, with the D20 Radio Group is popping. Um, and of course, the Order 66 podcast has a dedicated podcast page um, on Facebook. Just search for Order 66 podcast. Uh, we post uh, in both the, the the official page and the group news, podcast info on a daily basis. There's commentary. I swear, we get more listener questions uh, and more good community discussion there than we do in our forums now. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet show info and announcements regularly. Um, gentlemen, I think that might be a record for announcements. <laughs> yeah, because no we want to get to the meat of the show, you know? <laughs> we want we want to we we get to the meat of the show. We want to get to the meat of the show. <laughs> well, let's do that. So... What are we? What are we even? What are we going to call tonight's meeting? <laughs> I uh, I changed it up a little bit, and now I'm calling it the hope after the rogue attack and the menacing return of the revenge of the last Jedi Awakened Strikes Back. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I, I I really do adore it. So so. Okay, listeners, it has been two years since Star Wars reemerged to plant its flag firmly back on the big screen. Two years of waiting to discover the continuing saga of Rey, Finn, Poe, and Kylo. Two years since we first wept at the death of Han Solo, the return of General Leia, and the haunted look of Luke Skywalker. 
The Force Awakens was a film of contention by some fans, beloved by others. Uh, but regardless of what you felt about it, the box office numbers didn't leave much room for interpretation. The film grossed $2 billion globally. Now, this weekend saw the release of the second in this new trilogy, Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, which is on pace to likely hit an astounding $220 million on its opening weekend. And that's just U.S. domestic gross box office. Um, they're saying globally it's going to cap around $450 million. Hasn't even opened in China yet. Um, it's probably on track to do half a billion its first week. Um, now, that... All those numbers will make it fall shy of The Force Awakens, uh, just slightly, uh, for the second highest opening weekend box office total ever. Um, now, two years ago, we discussed our own impressions of the return to a galaxy far, far away. And now, as we've viewed the next installment in the saga of the Skywalker family, and, and those not in the Skywalker family, which we might talk about, we're going to get into it again. This visual spectacle of a film had twists, it had turns, it had surprises, it had emotion. But was that emotion positive or negative? Did we love it? Did we hate it? Do you even care? Matter not, it does. Because tonight we're going to go deep spoiler review on The Last Jedi. And what's more, we're going to talk about what it means for your Star Wars games. What can you use? What has changed? What has inspired? So get ready as we light the spark that will light the fire that will burn your questions down tonight on your Order 66 podcast. But truth be told, we really can't do this justice, gentlemen, without a little bit of help. And I'm very pleased um, to welcome some special guests onto the show to help us out with this. Um, some D20 radio professionals, some alums, some uh, fellow podcast hosts. Um, and first and foremost, and as part of a, a sort of cross-show collaboration... Uh, from D20 Radio's own Movie Defenders podcast, um, we've really got to to welcome uh, to the show uh, our own also D20 Radio staff writer, Scott Alden, um, and Donald Salisbury, host of the Movie Defenders. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Holding for Thanks General for Hux. Yep. Holding for General Hux. <laughs> Still holding. Hey, what's up, Gamer Nation? It's good to be here. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Of Absolutely. This is going to be fun. going to be fun. This is going to be a good time. Now, if you guys, listeners, are not uh, familiar with the Movie Defenders podcast, what is wrong with you? Um, you need to go listen to the Movie Defenders. It's a phenomenal show. Um, and we were privileged. Uh, guys, is, is the episode up now, officially? It is up. It posted about an hour ago. Posted about an hour ago. Okay, we were, we were privileged enough yesterday. We did some recording uh, with 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 Donald and Scott um, to give our own take um, on episode uh, eight for the movie Defenders. Um, so you guys can actually go and listen to that um, and and hear some additional conversation all about this film and our take of it. Um, but you know, we we just didn't think five people would be enough. We thought we should add a sixth, and to that end, um, you know. We really need to bring somebody who just needed to get his name on some more podcasts and and has a pretty strong opinion about things. Uh, and this would be the host of not only our much beloved uh, at D20 Radio Geek Pantheon podcast, but also uh, one of my favorite shows on the network, Eberron Renewed, that I listen to religiously, uh, the live play show. Uh, DM Eric, Eric Strimple, homie, welcome. Hello. This discussion is not going to go the way you think. <laughs> Another one. It's very, very good. Very good. Excited to be here, guys. 
Dude, we're glad you're here. We are very glad you're here. But, you know, we thought that six people was kind of pushing it, but we decided to go for broke. And, um, you know, we thought maybe seven, seven hosts might really, really do it. And, you know, uh, he's a big part of the D20 Radio community, and now he's officially a podcast host. Um, uh, the, 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 the head man, the, uh, g- progenitor of our newest show on the network, uh, the Dice Pool, um, and our very own, uh, GM Hooley. Uh, sir, are you with us as well? I certainly am. And I have nothing to say. Nothing, <laughs> nothing witty. <laughs> I'm still in shock. But anyway, that's all right. Well, the, the man, the man is still in shock. Oh, man. Mm. So, all right, guys, we, we have a lot to discuss, but um, Dave, should we boilerplate? Uh, uh, sure, sure, sure. So, uh, first off, there <clears throat> in the world, in the, in the words of uh, Scotty, there be spoilers here. I think he said whales, though. But anyway, whatever. It goes without saying, this entire discussion is going to be filled with plot points and nitpicks picky details and all that jazz everything about the film <clears throat> spoilers are coming if you haven't already turned off if you haven't listened or watched the show then turn off now if you have not seen it turn it off turn off the damn podcast right now we're going to spoil everything right now i mean absolutely everything so if you haven't turned off by now then it you deserve to know that luke dies Ouch! Wow! Rip, rip that bandaid off. <laughs> Way to give him a chance, Dave. Yeah, I did. I did. I gave him four chances right there. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, so guys, let's get into the Last Jedi because I want to know from a, a host and a guest perspective um, what we thought of the film. And and kind of kind of overall thoughts and you know your, your general boilerplate review. A lot of people online have been like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear Order sixty six tear into this," and then you've had other people saying, "Oh, I can't wait to hear Order sixty six talk about how great this was." Um, it's a very polarizing film, and I know we're going to talk about that. But around the table, right. ar- around the table, really quick. And Phil, I'd very much like to start with you, my good man. Um, what are your what is your overall impression and review and thoughts of the film? I was not ready for the journey that took me on. I was absolutely not ready for it. Um, it was two and a half hours of misdirection and surprises and tugging on heartstrings and emotion. And I needed to see it a second time before I decided. I, I mean, I know I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed watching the film. Um, but I didn't know how much or how I enjoyed it until I actually saw it a second time and I could kind of appreciate the entire film without having all those twists and turns pulled on me. Um, I liked this film. It is not my favorite Star Wars film, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. I really did. I felt that they they took the saga in a different way, and, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I think they delivered a message to everyone who feels that that this was just going to be just another Star Wars film. And it, honestly, if that's what you went to the theater hoping for, just another Star Wars film, you will be disappointed. Interesting. Did we lose? No, no, no. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm I'm pondering. I'm pondering. Uh, so Dave, do you okay? When we last did, did did a review episode, Dave, of episode seven, you were very candid about your opinions on the film. And I know those opinions have shifted slightly upon reviewing. Um, but I, everyone was pretty much set online that you were not going to like this film. Um, <laughs> do, do you want to dig into it or do you want to go last? I'll go last. Okay. All right. Um uh, well then, uh, then I'll, I'll I'll kick it over to. Oh wait, you know what? I don't have any dice with me. God, not at hand. That's a problem. Uh, we'll just say uh, Eric. Eric, man. Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree that one viewing is not nearly enough for this movie. I I enjoyed it coming out the first time, but the second time, I genuinely think, and I may need to run and take cover from Dave after I make this statement. Um, in in terms of being a character piece, like purely character arcs, character work, acting, it might be the strongest Star Wars film for me. Like the the journey that our new big three went on, I thought was incredible. I thought there was a lot of nuance, which not a problem with the Finn arc, um, because it's subtle in places but yeah in terms of character work i'm not going to say it's my favorite star wars movie overall but i could easily see going back and watching this and just marveling at how these characters evolve and develop over the course of the film i hear that um ian what about you Okay, so I'm going to take you on a little bit of a time-travelling expedition. Um, going back immediately after the film, I absolutely hated it. I wanted to love it. Uh, there were just too many things that were in there that, uh, that just wasn't sitting right with me. I don't know whether it had something to do with the time of day that I watched it. I don't know what it was. But I just did not like it in any way, shape, or form. However, three days later, I got to see it again. And every single gap that was left from the first watching was completely filled with the second watching. And I'm a bit like Eric, and I think that this is probably up there. It's still not Empire Strikes Back, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, it's, in my opinion, the most un-Star Wars, but best Star Wars um, that we've had so far. Interesting. All right. And for the the gentleman who podcast professionally about film, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, seriously, uh, uh, guys, what, uh, what what were your thoughts on this? You want to go, Donald? Uh, hated it. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I had to see it uh, to really get over a lot of the the, the shock that I had. Uh, a lot of the, the, the moments were just very jarring. Uh, I didn't hate it at all. It was just more of a wow moment after wow moment, just, just chock full. Uh, after seeing it the second time, I was able to appreciate all of it. And the third time just cemented it that I, I, I really think um, I really think that this is going to go down as, as one of the best, if not the best. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say this is their, their favorite Star Wars. Mm. Well, high praise. I, I, it's still high praise. He called me a professional podcaster. I'm still trying to get over that. Um, 
so when I go watch a Star Wars movie, I always make sure before I walk in, I remind myself that nothing is going to recreate my six-year-old self or five-year-old self holding my ears during later Vader and Luke's lightsaber battle on Bespin, getting scared out of my mind, freaking and elated all at once. I can't. I can't go back and I will never be able to duplicate my thoughts, feelings and emotions around the original trilogy. It'll never happen. So I don't even try to clear that bar. It's, it's just not going to be cleared. I, nothing's going to supplant empire and, and a new hope for it. it. Just, it can't cause I can't become, I can't become that age again. That said, star Wars was starting to become for me like, and that was why I was a little frustrated with the criticisms of episode seven, that it was a rip off of a new, hope because star wars with nine films in the can is kind of like the simpsons right they've done everything like what 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 is there left for star wars to go touch everything's going to be similar to something so ryan johnson did the only thing uh, and a genius thing that i think nobody saw coming and that is he completely turned it upside down what the uh, the prequel trilogy was about a chosen one his rise and his fall the original trilogy was about another kind of chosen one and his hero's journey and this turned into none of that matters you can be anybody and all the things that we thought and took for granted were were flipped it seemed that ryan johnson knew everything we fanboys were debating and then flipped it <laughs> and and said yeah you don't you don't have any clue it wasn't a or b now it's c um and for me that was a pleasant surprise i was wildly glad uh that all the things we debated for two years were were wrong and I took a lot of joy in that. But I agree with the rest of everybody. Uh, a second viewing cements it for sure. Walked out in shock first time, processing, and then the second time. This is up there. I, I, I don't like ranking the films because it's a giant narrative at this point. But I think that Lucasfilm has hit three home runs since the merger. And, and this is just up there. It was fantastic. From my perspective, I... Um... I really enjoyed the film. Um, unlike the rest of you, I've only had the opportunity to see one viewing. Um, but I, I came away from that viewing with a lot. It's a very dense movie. Um, and what, I, what I've been able to gather, and I've, I've recommended to other listeners who've reached out to me online about this, is who's, who expressed concerns or doubts that they didn't care for the film, is give it a rewatch. I think this is one of those movies that as time goes by and as more rewatches occur, we're all going to start to realize what a good film it is. Um, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. There are some there are some issues. There are some pacing problems. I think we can talk about that. Um, but but on the whole, I for 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 good or bad, um, Ryan Johnson with and let's just let's let's call it what it is. It's not just Ryan Johnson. This was with Lucasfilm's blessing. He doesn't just get to do what he wants. I mean, there is very strict control by LFL. Okay, so very strict, very strict. Okay, so LFL made the decision to basically wipe ass with everything we knew about star Wars. And that is really jarring for a lot of people. And whether you realize it or not, subconsciously, it feels like they're taking a shit on your childhood. And what kills me is a lot of people didn't like episode seven because uh, it's the same as what we saw before. It was a rehash. And a lot of people don't like episode eight because it took too many risks. It changed too many things. <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, it's like <clears throat> episode seven was and a lot of people dislike this about the film, but it is what it is. Episode seven was a warm blanket. It was Lucasfilm getting 
the world comfortable with Star Wars again, reminding you about what you loved when you were a kid, and yeah, rehashing, because they wanted to get you back on the Star Wars bandwagon. That's what it was. It was a very tactical, calculated move. Um, once everyone's comfortable and they've made $2 billion and we realize that Star Wars is not going away, it's okay. Now we're going to do what we want to do. Um, and Christ, they did. Um, so that's 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 my overall impression. And I there was so much I enjoyed in the film. And, and we can get into it and talk about it. But my, I guess my final question, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn this over to the insanity of all of us. Um, really quick around the table. Uh, what do you rate the film uh, from one to five porgs? How many porgs do you give it? I give it four and a half porgs. I give it a four. Give it a four porgs. Four porgs. Uh, I'll go half again. Yeah. You said four and a half? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, for, first watching, four and a half. Second watching, five. Uh, the problems I have with the film are are small and and not enough to not enough to ding it so i i gotta agree with scott i'm at a place where it's five out of five porgs all right mm, i'm gonna go four and a half and a cooked porg. <laughs> <laughs> i love that scene uh, you eat uh, the porg or not and dave <laughs> dave did we lose hi dave? guys how many how many por how many porgs do you give it on a scale of one to five porgs? Well, do <clears throat> you want to hear my impressions first? Oh yeah, you haven't gone yet, have you? Yeah, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all that. Yeah, Dave, we were going to save you for last. What's your yeah. impressions? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Okay, so <clears throat> a lot of you uh, online have been wondering. Uh, exactly what was going to happen. And let me tell you that immediately upon the film's opening, uh, a, a, a Star Destroyer arrives in orbit over a planet, and holy shit, like, we need to escape. And my eyes rolled. I'm like, fuck! It's five all over again. So, the film is a mile wide and a foot deep. There really wasn't much for me in terms of character development, except for Ray and 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 uh and kylo <clears throat> um it, the the humor was okay but it kind of felt like he was beating over beating us over the head with it i won't even get into phasma and how much that pissed me off and i won't get into how much that freaking ship sitting in the hangar after everything else was destroyed pissed me off <clears throat> and how it kind of felt like it was battlestar galactica being chased by the cylons so I guess you can say that Dave hated the film. <clears throat> and um, wait a second. Hold on. Dave's floating above a rock. I saw it a second time. <laughs> so. You guys know my, my list is uh, I, I, depending on the, the frame of mind that I'm in. Uh, episode five and Rogue One are my clear favorites. And then there is a gap, and it goes down to, for me, Return of the Jedi, and then a pretty substantial gap, and then A New Hope, and then we get to the rest. And the rest are pretty uninspiring to me. <clears throat> so after a second viewing, I will place Episode 8 firmly beside Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, as probably my third favorite film. I think, 
And believe it or not, I actually believe the film was pretty brilliant now after seeing it a second time and I've processed it. Believe it or not. Not what you expected, was it? See, I pull a little twist just like Ryan did. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. I'm going to give it it four and a half porgs plus a tribble. (laughs) Does that mean we have nothing more to talk about? (laughs) I think that's done. Well, so that was a, that was a, and just to, just to clarify among the seven of us, that was a final score of 4.571428571428571 porgs. (laughs) Just in other words, it was pi plus one, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Chewy ate a leg off of one. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get into this crazy, and this is going to be nuts. And I know we're going to be talking over each other, but it's going to be a blast. Phil, man, you want to? You, I think you've seen this more than any of us. Um, possibly. Possibly. You've got you've had three viewings under your belt at this point. Got three. Yep, seen it three times. Three times in 24 hours. <laughs> Donald's got three. Holy crap. Yeah, I've got three overall. I'm, uh, at, I'm at three as well. Oh, God. Yeah, just because they do that costuming stuff. God. They get free screenings. What? Well, only, only one of those was free. I paid for the other two. See, uh, I'm a little pissed off at Bradshaw for not sending me a bootleg copy already because I had one of episode seven within like eight hours of the film opening. So. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he's on a cruise. That's why he hasn't even seen it yet. He's gonna see it. He's gonna oh, see it in why. Mexico. Um, yeah, that's that. That's why. So, um, so Phil, bro, do you do you want do you want to get into some <laughs> some some nitpicking? <laughs> All right, folks, let's do this thing. So at this point, let's go through the broad structure of the film and examine what we loved, what we didn't, and what was in between, and. As with any Star Wars film, except Rogue One, let's start with that opening crawl. So the film set us off right into the scene, and Ryan Johnson clearly didn't diddle around with the timing. Episode 7 just kind of ended, and boom, here we are. So let's talk about the timing. How how much time has passed since the last film? A couple days, a couple weeks. I mean, Finn's been in a coma, but for how long? The Resistance basically had their base discovered and had to flee, like, now. So, what do we think? How much time has passed? Personally, I think, like, a day tops. Yeah. I mean, long enough for Ray to get from uh, the base to Octo is basically it. And, you know, because that scene was right there. That that picked up right there. So True. So ultimately, it comes down to how fast do ships actually travel through hyperspace? How fast is the speed of plot? Yeah, I took it like <laughs> that. I took it that the, the trip, the, the hyperspace trip, the Millennium Falcon took to get rid of the steps was the time frame, whatever that is. And we know playing the game, you know, day or two, three. I think you're right, Phil. I think we're talking... 48 hours tops 24 yeah because yeah. we we see at the top of the movie that they they haven't had time to pack everything up yet they're they're basically having to get people out and leave a lot of supplies behind so yeah i think just a couple days any longer than that and it you, you're packing up for a long move so so in, in in essence i think episode eight actually began before episode seven ended <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, even during the celebration on the you know at the hangar and you know they're hugging and cheering, someone's in the back going, "We need to pack." <laughs> <laughs> guys, we got we got to go. Guys, got to go. They they know where we live. Guys, we got to go. Yeah. They they aimed the gun at us. That means they know we're here. <laughs> okay, so in that opening when they lay so much out there, the next big thing is of course the 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 bombing of the dreadnought. All right, and I have to say like. The the moment the moment that for like when they open with a starship battle of that scale, um, it's kind of pathetic because that was more beautiful and more cinema cinematographically is that even a word cinematographically beautiful? So, you know the cinematography was so amazing, um, and it it was just jaw dropping compared to anything we saw in for example I think of episode three which opens obviously with another major starship battle. Um, but was in, in comparison, just nothing compared to what I, I witnessed in the, the in the theater. Um, we have this, we, we have, we have this bombing run, right. And, and hothead Poe, um, <laughs> doing something really stupid, but taking out a dreadnought and a whole bunch of rebels die, um, including Rose's sister, um, Th- thoughts on the ships, the scene, um, the introduction of of Poe, and really the start of his character arc. This film, um, I mean, yeah, that initial scene and the bombing run and all that. Thoughts on that? I love the fact that BB-8 said the words. Yeah, <laughs> happy beeps, buddy. Happy beeps. Happy beeps. Yeah, I, I finally <laughs> caught it the second time. I was like, damn it, I should have picked up on that. Yep. I think Poe going all uh, fast and furious. Tokyo Drift in the middle of that run to get behind those TIE fighters may have been the coolest thing I've ever seen an X-Wing do. Like, I just got a huge grin on my face when that happened. But you, oh, don't lie. You had an, you had an erection six feet tall <laughs> with a cheeseburger on the end of it. Unassisted. I think Poe did exactly what all of us as um, players at one point in time always really wanted to do to a, an Imperial officer on board a... Uh, on board a Star Destroyer, that's for sure. Yeah, don't forget, there was a huge amount of humor right when that kicked off. Um, a mm. lot. That's unusual. Donald, I think, and you can correct me, Donald, but I think we talked about in our prequel discussion that the opening to three was, like, if not our fate, I mean, nothing was going to supplant the Star Destroyer coming overhead in four. Nothing will ever change when I was a kid and saw that. However, that opening, that opening 20 minutes of three is crazy strong. This probably this was this was crazy and i thought that Paige tico actually learned her name dying um and the fact that she was kind of nobody until she died but she was a hero because of what she did uh started that whole theme of you can be nobody and it's okay yeah Yeah. off really well um and i mean what how i was emotional glassy-eyed for someone i'd never seen on screen until three minutes ago dying and it, that was how powerful it was. It was fantastic. Well, and I, I've seen multiple people out there complaining about the Hux Poe conversation, but for that I think that's Poe for me because oh, he he undermined Kylo in Force yeah. Awakens. You talk first. I talk first. Yeah, and you he's doing. First. I mean, Poe is a hothead that is a smartass. So. I I appreciated that, and I lo- it it went on just long enough for me. It may have gone on too long for some people, but it, it culminating in him saying what we've all said on a cell phone of "I can hear you, can you hear me?" Yeah. Just I was I was cracking up in the theater. <laughs> a lot of folks are saying that that especially 
actually is what pulled them out of Star Wars because they felt that it was too modern a joke to pull. But come on, guys, how how uh, can we really actually remember what the humor was like in the Star Wars film back in the seventies? Now you know, and that, that's that's one of the things, right? Okay, he's going to pull you out of he's going to pull you out of Star Wars immediately. But then what? Seven. 17 minutes later, Luke utters basically a synopsis of the entire film in one line. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, they've had communicators and hollow messages forever in Star Wars. Don't you think that at one point you could see someone talking, but you couldn't hear them? I'm sure it happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I think I Skype. Yeah, I think I think Star Wars, a lot of Star Wars success, whether people realize it or not, is that it tends to hold. And this is one of the deeper things we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure. It tends to hold a mirror up to what our current society is experiencing, um, mm-hmm. whether those be problems and threats. But on a lighter note, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the humor that that came into it. That's my thought on it. Um, I also like Domhnall Gleeson, who I thought gave a phenomenal performance as Hux. At first, I didn't get Hux, and then I started to realize, because he was a very different character than what they made him in Episode 7. In Episode 7, he was just Space Hitler, okay? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you're like, you're like, you're like, okay, all right. But this one, it's like, they really, when I realized where they were going with him and how they were treating him, and, and I'm totally cool with this once you get the choice, because it still is very Star Warsy. they turned him into a Saturday morning cartoon villain. And that's, you know... Mm-hmm. And when you when you get that and you realize that he's he's menacing, but at the same time, comic relief like Skeletor. So I was about to say, so he's Cobra Commander. He's Cobra Commander. It's <laughs> what he is. What he is. Uh, he is Cobra Commander. The thing which, which I really liked. Yeah, sorry. The, the thing that I really liked about Hux, and uh, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but he's really exhausted. And you can see that in his face, just the makeup that they gave him. Just in that first scene, he was under the pump in a big way. Hmm. I think. Hmm. Yeah, for talking Hux, I'm I'm interested to see where he goes in nine. Um, they gave him a lot more to do here, and in seven, when you're trying to introduce thirty characters, it's hard to give everybody enough screen time to really get that going. But um, for him to assume he was in command because you know Snoke Snoke just died. And then, you know, he gets almost choked out. Like, oh, yeah, well, just remember over here, I kind of have powers. You don't. Sorry, you're still lackey. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that relationship looks like whenever they pick this back up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a really funny moment going back to just the opening scene overall, though, when Poe turned off his communicator when Leia was trying, Leia was trying to give him orders. There was audible in the theater... Ooh, like people really react like oh you do not do that to the princess and yeah okay well can we talk about the princess then so obviously Carrie Fisher had a lot of uh, scenes in this film and and really pulled it out um, I'm not this is all tempered by the fact that Carrie's not with us anymore okay and and that was that that made this film. It was very. It, it added an undercurrent to this film that was very strange. Um, and so I, I hate saying this, uh, but you know, in truth, I I don't. I'm not sure if I was too much, too big of a fan of Carrie's performance of this. Um, I didn't I didn't I didn't see Leia on screen. I saw Carrie Fisher on screen, um, just in in the way she spoke and her idioms and her attitude and things like that. And that that could be yeah. it. But I'm curious to know what, what you guys thought of, like, one, one of the other big points of contention in this film 
has been flying Leia. Still didn't like it. Second time through, still didn't like it. I'm, I'm, I, here's what I would say. And we, we barely touched on this in, in our show, but I think it was setting up. It, it is very obvious now that, that nine was going to be Carrie's film. And it is, it is sad that we're never, we're never going to see it. Um, and I think that was foreshadowing uh, of maybe some stuff we were going to see. I think that was setting it up. I think it comes off like fan service now because it's, it's a one shot. That's all there is. Um, we can get into the, the explanations of Star Wars science and why it kind of works, but it actually kind of, I was thinking about the Genesis core book and how it, it clearly separated science fiction from space opera. And one thing it really pulls out is that the science isn't really true when you get to space opera. So that aside, uh, I took it as some foreshadowing of some stuff that unfortunately we're not going to, we're not going to get. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you start uh, a universe based on the existence of magic, then you shouldn't be surprised when characters who have already been established to use magic use that magic. So, I mean, yes, it's new different ways, but it's kind of what we were looking for anyway, those new ways to use the Force. So. Well, and I, I feel like we, we all knew that Leia was Force-sensitive. That was just an assumption that the fandom made, and it's the one assumption that this movie up. Um, but... I mean, we we've seen in extended universe and even pulling in other uh, universes like X Men, like moments of great stress and duress is a lot of times when these powers will manifest. And so the fact that we had never seen her do anything with the Force before, well, it was die in the vacuum of space or pull yourself back to the ship. And so I I didn't really have a problem with it being. Um, contrived or just an easy way to get her back on the ship like it it was something that in the moment the first time i saw it i i really thought that she was going to die and so it was jarring when i realized she wasn't but i didn't hate the moment um it it certainly didn't affect me emotionally like a lot of people but i i didn't dislike it i I don't know if it would have worked or not but what and this again is just conjecture I just didn't like the way it was portrayed cinematically from a cinematography standpoint. It's the one little beef I've got is that it just looked like she was on a guide wire almost. Right. And, and it would have worked for me had she manifested this power for the first time and just, you know, like somebody with a giant reaction at a, at a scene of an accident who can pick up a car that she would have reached out and moved the ship to her instead of the other way around. Maybe she did that anyway, but because it's so big that, and this is something that somebody else suggested, that she's done the whole move, but because the ship's too big, it's she's moved herself towards the ship. Yeah, and let's not yeah, forget, let's... she she has used the Force. The first time she used the Force was on Bespin in Empire Attack. She's been using the Force a lot. Um, just in non-physical, like she never used force move, right? Like that's basically what we, we saw, but 30 years in the middle, I didn't have a problem figuring out that, no, well, I'm sure she was bored at home some days and played around with it and moved some paper clips or, you know, <laughs> I'm sure she did something right. So I didn't have any problem with the fact that she had the ability. I think that's, I think Chris, what you're talking about is everyone had a problem with the fact that the science of it, she should have exploded or eyeballs should have blown out of the their sockets and and all that other fun stuff but i didn't i didn't 
not buy that the daughter of the chosen one could have pulled that off. That was she fun. got she got a lot of XP through through seven, and she spent it on force move. <laughs> <laughs> she bought all the way down to the all the way down to the bottom of that tree. Yeah, a lot of XP. <laughs> Okay, I got I to gotta comment on this. Uh, Warder Blue is in chat uh, watching us live, and it, we were talking about the differences between the character now and then, and he says, but didn't Chris just hit on why this film was so bad? Characters were one way in The Force Awakens and used so different in The Last Jedi. No, that doesn't mean the film's bad. If anything, that means The Force Awakens is bad, or The Last Jedi is bad. Like, if you're saying just because the characters are different, that's just a directorial or writing choice. I don't think it's a bad film. Um it might make it a bad film if I disliked how the characters were used in this film, but I didn't. I thought the characters were so much better in so many ways in this film than they were in The Force Awakens. So if your logic is true, Warder Blue, it means that The Force Awakens was a bad film. <laughs> well, maybe also what Order Blue should remember kind of is is Leia is now Mon Mothma. So remember how she acted and looked and did in, in the even in the deleted scenes of three and in the clone wars and in uh, um, doubles that we just saw, that's how Leia's acting. Her role in this whole thing is completely shifted. She's not a blaster toting, you know, firing at ATSTs on a forest anymore. She's now, and you have to be a different person to do that. So when she looked that way in seven, I was fine with it. That was okay. And this, it, it holds suit. Like there, I could still see Carrie in there. Like that. I could still see Leia, but she's Mon Mothma now. And that's just a new ball game. My and we talked about this in the movie defenders, but my my I guess my issue with it was I didn't think it was necessary. Um, I mean, the whole point of the entire exchange was to make her unconscious, okay, for an extended period of time, so you could force a confrontation between Poe and Vice Admiral Holdo and lead to Poe's character development. But she could have just been knocked unconscious when the bridge got hit. I, I didn't think it was a necessary scene. Um, the the other way that it could have been done is that she uh, she kind of had that look just before the the bridge exploded anyway that she knew that it was coming, so they could have done it with her sort of forcing against the uh, you know, the the air rushing out and sort of in slow motion type thing moving towards the door and then somebody you know opening up for her. But I think the timing was all sort of out because they had to have Finn and um, and Poe going to, you know, blast open the door to rescue her. So I just think it had more to do with timing. And I don't have a problem with it. I thought it was kind of cool. And it sort of showed that she has obviously gone out and developed a lot more. She just doesn't do it with the bravado that, you know, a lot of Jedi such as Luke had done, I think. Chris, I agree with everything you said completely. And that's why my thought came that I think the story group had something in mind for nine. The only thing story-wise that does to do it in that way is to show how strong that Skywalker lineage really is, which is a lot of what that story was about in this one. But aside from that, there's no reason to do it with that way at all. It, it's it's superfluous. It's not uh, completely unnecessary. She could have hit her head on a console. It could have been anything. Um, that's why I think there was something in mind here but yeah i tend to agree with that maybe yeah i mean that's that's probably the 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 ultimate intent at the same time you know what would have gotten her off of the bridge in the midst in the thick of battle you know i mean i I think the only way that she really would have believably stayed on that bridge as it was you know forcibly 
uh, you know, the air was forcibly evacuated, she would have what held on to her, you know, uh, to something, or she would have been, you know, walking out of the bridge. Uh, that not made any sense, you know, uh, for her character either. So, uh, you know, the way I buy it is, I, I this was way the second moment I would say in a movie full of moments where I'm like, okay, so so now that's a thing. Uh, that's one more thing that the force can do. That that's something different that not at all. It was jar, um, you know, but it was in Star Wars, so I'm gonna ex- accept it at this point. That guess what? It's it's a thing. Mm. Okay, now all of this led to um, the the thing I mentioned earlier, though, which is obviously she's knocked out, and this leads to. And I know we're probably skipping ahead a bit in the film order, but I, I think it's relevant. This leads to obviously the the introduction of Laura Dern. Um, as Vice Admiral Holdo taking the reins and then the conflict between her and Poe. Now, I have to say, and this is coming up in chat right now as, as a natural part of this discussion, the one thing that I personally disliked about this film that I really thought was stupid was the fact that Admiral Holdo didn't tell Poe her plan at all. And Phil, you and Dave both had brought up a, a counterpoint to this that I, I guess mm-hmm. I hadn't considered when, and, until we were talking about it yesterday um with the movie defenders yeah that's the chain of command chain of command <laughs> yeah here's you know, a, the funny here's thing a is i had a conversation about somebody in uh, at my game store who had seen it and this was by the way i did this interview with you guys yesterday in my game store and a guy is walking in the door as he hears me say luke died oh <laughs> Oops. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah wasn't wasn't the greatest. But anyway, another guy walks in and he said that he he was he was talking about the he was also talking about that exact same scene. And this guy was a military guy, and he's like, there was no question that that was absolutely a military tactic. That that she had a she she had a deserter among them. She wasn't gonna just she wasn't gonna give the plan. And look what look flyboy, you need to follow the chain of command and not be a hothead fool. And and I think Poe man. They really drastically altered the perception for me of Poe in this film. Yeah, it was yeah, good. I loved Poe's story arc. I did too. I loved his evolution. I did too. He went. He went from being a Marty Stew to somebody with flaw, and you, and, and you find that again and again in these film. In, in this film, that's what I love that they did with every character. Um, you know, they take these Mary Sues and Marty Stews and give them actual character development, but. Well, and and something that I, I kind of thought about after my second viewing is the fact that in that situation, Rose and Finn and Poe know how the First Order is tracking them. We never really get a strong indication that the rest of the ship does. So, yeah, um, I, I can't help but call her Laura Dern. Um, Holdo, um, Holdo may be entertaining the idea of having a, a mole amongst it. Like the, the play, you don't broadcast your plan to the entire ship. And you you have a pilot that got all of your bomber squad killed on a mission, so he's probably not the most trusted individual in that moment. So, yeah, I mean, I just it it would if she would have just come forth and said, "Here is the entire plan that I am enacting. Please don't tell anybody." So, yeah. Well, Chris, Chris, any sort of yeah, Chris. I, I think no. when you watch it your second time, you'll you'll see uh, the second time I saw what I think it was. He was demoted. So he went from command staff to not. So he comes up to her and he says, what's the plan? What's going on? You got to tell me. And he, she turns around. And she goes, you wait. 
captain, right? You were demoted. That was her last act. Just checking, you know, and then she walks off as if to say what I took from it was you don't get this information anymore. You've now been demoted because she pointed it out as he asked. So that, and, and so the military thing that Dave and Phil are kind of alluding to, that's real. When I saw it the second time and I really kind of connected, I was like, okay, that's, that's why I thought that's exactly what that was. Hmm. You know, when they, um, when they first, they were tracking the, the, the resistance through hyperspace and they'd already established this, um, or it was right around the same time that they'd established that, that mechanism, the, the, what is it? Cloaked binary beacon, uh, between Leia and, uh, Ray. Uh, I thought for sure that that would, the, there was another set of those, uh, and you know, that Holdo had one of them and Hux had the other or something along those lines or, you know, uh, so I'm wondering if maybe in that was something that they, uh, the, on the cutting room floor that they started searching the sweeping the ships for, for one of those other beacons. But, um, that's the only other thing I can think of. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. But, um, but I mean, the chain of command is ultimately the, you know, most straightforward um, argument, you know, for for how she was, you know, withholding the the, the plan from from Poe. But you know, it's 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 not fair to say that it ended up on the cutting room floor. We we like to reject that kind of argument a lot of times. But um, uh, you know, we we just got to go by what's on the screen. It's, it was just clearly a need to know basis, and she believed that Poe didn't need to know, and realistically, oh. didn't need to know. Yeah, and she said didn't she tell him when they were on the when he woke up and they were on the transport heading to heading to crate didn't she say we didn't know on we had to hide it like she told him right i'm trying to remember mm. i saw it twice i remember but but i mean that they all of the fighters had been blown up so that's what his role was and he was obviously just wanting to he was a fish out of water he didn't know what to do with himself. And so he was trying to ingrain himself into the command structure. And ultimately, um, Holdo didn't believe that um, he needed to know that. He didn't need to be making those sorts of decisions. So she's gone, yep, sorry, you, you've just been demoted. You don't need to know this. You know, go away now. Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's okay. <laughs> Quite all right. Quite all right. Okay, so... Because I, I was of the same opinion of you, uh, as you, Chris, though. Uh, when I'd sort of seen that at the start, uh, for the first watching, that was one of the, the big issues that I had, um, was that whole relationship with between Holdo and Poe. But you see a second time without sort of this, I don't know, an expectation of what you want Poe to be like, and then suddenly you realise, oh, that's what they're trying to do. Because what I think across the entire film is they're trying to torch, torch hand, I guess, um, across to each of the each of the the three main characters to determine whether they are capable enough of leading this resistance to into um, uh, the future so that you know of what's going to obviously happen in episode nine so uh, you know I, I, yeah yeah I, I hear you 
And and I do say, and, and this is something I've come to realize, and I, I want to say it boldly and challenge anyone who dislikes the film because they made changes. I, I feel this film took a bunch of one-dimensional characters and gave them depth. Um, Poe being a really good example of that. Um, he didn't have enough screen time, quite frankly, in episode seven to be more than a one-dimensional character. So you give him some depth, you give him some flaw, and and his character arc and overcoming that I really enjoyed in this film. But, spe- okay, guys, speaking of character arcs, and in the interest of time, making sure we move along, um, let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the, uh, the character arc that occurred with Ray and Luke. And let's move on to, uh, what, what did, what did Luke call it? The most impossible to find place in the galaxy? Um, <laughs> uh, Octo. Um, thoughts on, on, let, let's, let's get into it, man. Octo, Luke. Uh, Porgs, the caretakers, crazy hermits. <laughs> I was glad to see that the Porgs were used for two minutes and that's it. I, yeah. I was so dumbfounded at the hatred of the Porgs by certain people, the fan, uh, oh, it's going to be too cute. It's Ewoks again. And it's all these things. And I was like, guys, they, they, they can only show you like a, a half a percent. Like they can't spoil anything. Remember after The Force Awakens came out, everyone was kind of upset at the lack of the Ray toys, right? Well, that was because her holding a lightsaber in the toy stores a month before the movie spoils a lot of the movie. So putting the Porg out was like, oh, that's going to be cute. And I telling my daughter, she was she's elated, loves the Porgs. And I said, sweetie, they're going to be in the movie two minutes, maybe. They're going to have some jokes. It's going to be funny, and it's done. I was glad to see the Porgs were used intelligently. Funny. I love the fact they're nesting in the Falcon at this point. I'm I'm Team Porg. I'm all in. Uh, it wasn't too much. It was fine. Yeah. Got me about that entire sequence, and it, and it sort of threw me right from the start. Was the lightsaber toss, and I think a couple of people in chat uh, agree. But having seen it the second time, that was so the right thing to do. Yeah. What else? Considering yeah, his character, what did you expect him to do? Well, I mean, they, they made such a big point of it with the end of um, The Force Awakens. Suddenly he's, you know, been given this lightsaber. There are so many questions about it. I mean, the last time he saw it, it was tumbling towards the, um, the the surface, in inverted commas, of a um, uh, of a gas giant. You know, and then suddenly somebody's rocked up with his lightsaber. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked. And his response to it was, toss it away. I found myself to be a little bit upset about that. But then when you think about it, after the second watching, you sort of go, well, okay, so he's throwing the lightsaber away. He really is rejecting the Force. He's, and you know, they they, they mentioned that later on when Ray says, so you've just switched yourself off. And he just doesn't want anything more to do with the galaxy. He's gone there to die. And I think that highlights that completely that he's just not interested in what happened before he's just here for the long haul until he passes end of story well and, and, oh. and Huli, don't forget ray even says what you were thinking and the audience was thinking and she says to him if you're not going to help she deserves to know why i you know i deserve to know why and of course he gets he doesn't really answer but she even asked the question everyone in the audience had. Yeah. <laughs> I think Ray played that role a lot in this movie. Um, but I, I feel like, given the setup of The Force Awakens and where it ends with Ray standing in front of Luke, 
you have two options with that character. What we got or rehashing Obi-Wan Kenobi. And like fans cried foul when we the Force Awakens was supposedly a rehash of the original trilogy. And so yeah, I mean if if he accepts her, takes the lightsaber and says, Oh, this was my lightsaber and my father's lightsaber and like it it just it it clearly Ryan Johnson wanted to do something different with this character other than just being Obi One two point oh. So um if I was clever I would have said Obi two, but yeah. Um <laughs> He was making sure that Dave wasn't going to be upset. We were having to blame him on Dagobah. Yeah, that's what he did. It's right. There was still a ship under the water. It didn't get lifted. Yeah, true. no, no, it didn't. True, true. But you know, at the end of the movie, what did she say? Moving rocks. Moving rocks. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was great. Phil, <laughs> Phil, I want. Can you chime in because you you have some very strong thoughts about the overt symbolism of the lightsaber throwing and what that represents for what Ryan was trying to yeah, do overall. Absolutely. <laughs> he, it, it, this is the, you know, it's a recreation of that exact scene where we're seeing a continuation of everything that had us all go, Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, at the very end of episode seven. And Luke has that saber. He looks back at Ray, just pitches that thing right over his shoulder and walks away. And the symbolism of that is, Oh, you thought you knew how this was going to end. You thought you knew where this was going next. Nope. Layers. <laughs> Wait, what? Huh? Huh? Wait, where, where are you going? Wait, that's that's the Skywalker lightsaber. That's that's legendary. It's it's you just pitched it like it was a wrapper from a candy bar. What's wrong with you? Mm. I I love that scene. I love that scene because it told you right up front that line that Luke says halfway through the film. This isn't going to go how you think. Well, and the other big thing, that's not his lightsaber. That's not the lightsaber he created with his hand. So saying that he should treat it with reverence, I mean, that that was his original lightsaber that he hasn't had for a very long time, and he replaced it and used that lightsaber. Like, like it's not his thing anymore. So I, yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, because his residual self-image of himself is wielding that lightsaber, as we see from the projection he has later on. I th- yes, that's I think done more I, to be more of an impact for Kylo because it's the lightsaber that he wanted. I mean, he made that point in The Force Awakens. You know, that belongs to me, he says. So, uh, yeah, I think that because uh, Luke's not dumb, he's trying to get an emotional reaction out of, out of Kylo um, so that he, he can draw all of his entire attention uh, away so that um, the rest of um, the rebels can get away. Yeah. Like Tony, Tony's in chat, he says, and he echoes what Phil just said. Tossing the saber was foreshadowing of how much quote unquote tradition was going to be tossed out with the risks this film was going to take. And that is exactly what it was. And, and, and beyond that, even from a storytelling standpoint, it, it tells you everything you need to know about Luke without 10 minutes of exposition. Um, Absolutely. the number one rule in storytelling is don't tell show. And mm. that's what they did. You, you immediately understand Luke's mind frame and his emotional state through a three second action. And that's that you, yeah, you, you can't paint that picture any better way. I didn't have a problem with it at all. 
And look how the lightsaber, that same lightsaber, was symbolic later in, you know, Kylo and Rey, uh, you know, fighting over it with the Force and and tearing it apart. Um, and you know, so they're fighting over that tradition and what should happen to it. And then at the end, she has it; it's in pieces. Uh, but you know, uh, Leia puts her hand on it and says, "You already, ha- we already have everything we need." You know, to to carry on. So that's uh, the the symbolism there is is very palpable. I think. Mm. Yeah. You're here. As Tony F. Thirteen, whatever is it, thirteen thirty says, let the past die. Yeah, I did think I that, did was, think that was interesting. Um, how how Luke basically was was showing Ray to basically do the same thing that that Kylo was wanting her to do, which was you know let the past die. Let's let's get rid of the Jedi. Let's let's get rid of that. Uh, I think Kylo obviously had different motivations than Luke did, but uh, I thought it was interesting how she rejected what Luke had to say, and then she rejected what Kylo had to say, and then and along the same veins. Yeah, she even took the books with her. Yeah. Yeah, and I noticed on the third viewing that the first time that we see her back in the Millennium Falcon, she was closing that drawer. Um, I didn't quite catch that uh, the first couple sh- uh, showing. So uh, that was kind of neat that it, it was it was telegraphed that that's where the book, you know, she was already working on that. Yeah, okay, so and uh, so I asked Destroyer in chat, Luke is one of the biggest problems with this movie. You expect me to believe the guy who confronted the Emperor tossed his lightsaber aside saying, come at me, bro, and redeemed his father was afraid of some kid? Um, but you worse than that, you expect me to believe that he would contemplate even for a second murdering his nephew and his student in his sleep? No, thank you. Really? Why? <clears throat> that, that's the pro- That's the thing. It, it, it humanizes the guy. I mean, you got to keep in mind, the original trilogy happened in the span of just a few years. He's still a kid through the entire thing of it. And a lot's happened since then. And the guy gets scared and people make mistakes. A lot happens in 30 years. I didn't have a problem with that at all. I enjoyed them taking Luke on that arc. I've never been a fan of perfect Lukey boy anyway. Um, yep. I, I, he was a character with no flaws. Um, and and don't, yeah. yeah. Well, and he, he even admitted it in, in the final flashback uh, where he said it was, you know, it was a, a temptation of in, impulse or instinct. Uh, that he all of a sudden. I mean, if you were the mentor of 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 space Hitler and you had the you had the clarity uh, and foresight to be able to kill him, I mean, don't you think uh, Obi Wan might have killed Anakin early on, or, or at least thought about it? I think that's what Luke. I think that's what we saw there. Well, and, then, yeah, go, go ahead, Scott. Oh, well, I was going to say one important distinction to make is coming off of Return of the Jedi. He senses conflict invader, and that's why he goes on the arc he, he does. When he's telling Ray the story, he just says, I sensed darkness, not conflict. Like, this is different from Vader. And he just says he he sees nothing but darkness in that moment. It was instinct. Like, you're, you're confronted with absolute darkness. You react a certain way. And then he backed off. He knew it was wrong. So... And I'll go a step further. I agree with everything everybody said. I'll go a step further. Remember, when he was done with the Ark in Return of the Jedi, he sacrificed and lost a lot to save you know, everything and everyone that he loved. And, I, and when I saw that last flashback scene, which blended the two, and you kind of got the real story, that I have no doubt in his mind for 30 years, uh, that whole 30 years is like, all of that is now for nothing. This is all. 
something again, no matter what I do, no matter what I've tried to do, no matter how much I got in its way, this is happening again. Oh no, we're not going through this again. We're not doing this again. Right? Like that's where I really felt his mind was at. And then of course, uh, in a way he did create Kylo Ren. He make the moment where he snapped. Maybe he would have anyway, but it's his fault. Um, and like Chris said, I love that. That makes Luke so much more interesting to me. And it's interesting that Mark Hamill really had a problem with it when he read the script and everyone floated those tweets around about how he says he hated it. I, I think he just was like the audience. I think he was shocked that that's the reaction he was supposed to give. But no, that's like that's, Chris said, that's ex- it's awesome. That's exactly what it was. I actually read an interview with Mark Hamill that was published today on Sci-Fi. And he, uh, he was, they, they asked him specifically about that. And he was like, look, I was just shocked because it was such a stark departure for the character because Luke Skywalker is supposed to be this hero. He's the hero of the galaxy, but that's not the point of the film. And this is Mark Hamill talking. He says, the point is to show that our heroes have flaws, that our heroes can fail us, but it's up to those who can fight to take up the fight to, 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 to you know, it, it's a passing of the torch. And, you know, from from Luke's perspective, I mean, the guy, I'm sorry, the guy's never, I mean, look, he lost his hand. He came to a horrible personal realization about his daddy. Um, his aunt and uncle got murdered. That's really sad, but he didn't really like them very much anyway. <laughs> um, Harsh. <laughs> the, the, I mean, if you watch episode four. Um <clears throat> the, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, Baru, yeah, okay, Baru was sweet, but, but, you know, Owen Lars was kind of a prick. Um, you know, uh, when, when you put all your hopes and dreams onto a kid and that kid is dark and then you make a mistake, which you stop yourself from doing. And then that kid, as a result of what you did, destroys everything, murders everything that you've built and you blame yourself, you go into depression, you go into darkness. And I, I actually, I found that character arc of, of, of what happened, you know, in the, I'm sorry, the majority of Luke's life after he was a kid, I thought that extremely believable. Um, I had zero issue with it. I, I thought it was, I loved what they did. I loved it. And, 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 and he still, he still ended up being at Luke at the end. Yeah, that was the point. Uh, he, he was still it was Luke. Like a, it was still Luke. It's a mini arc. It's remembering who you are and who you were. And that's the whole point is the mistakes of the past don't define you. And you, you've you got to take a handle on what's gone now. Forget the past. Let it die. Kill it. And 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 move on. And, and yeah, yeah, hell yeah. That was, that was probably... I think on our show that Donald, we Donald and I did a fun half hour of predictions for the movie. And if you listen to it now, it sounds like we're crazy. Um, <laughs> I said, there is no, when everyone is discussing, is he dark? Well, his head's big in the poster. So he's going dark. All this, all this malarkey. I said, there is no way they are iconic hero of star Wars and making him be a dick, a prick or something for the entire film. He's going <laughs> to open up a can of whoop ass do that han got his moment in the sun he flew the falcon he did his smugglery stuff he kicked ass there's no way they weren't going to do that with luke and so yeah i wasn't i was i wasn't surprised at the end he got to be luke again but awesome (laughs) okay well let's talk about additional character development we've talked we talked about poe we talked about luke um, and I think we'll we'll finish up a little bit by talking about ray but in the middle another another contested area of the film was 
the Finn and Rose and Canto Bite arc, where, you know, we obviously are introduced to a new character, Rose. Some people dislike her. Most people really enjoy the character. Um, for me, it's because she is, if you took, if you took one of us and threw us into the Star Wars film, that's who we would be. Just this, this giddy, drooling fanboy or girl. <laughs> All right. Um, who's just thrilled to be there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, the having, you know, so, so giving some flesh to Finn and, and making him learn to realize what heroism is and become a hero in the end, um, that was his little arc. Um, and it took a, it took a turn to Canto Bite. Uh, what were y'all's thoughts on, on Canto Bite and, uh, and the, the arc of, of, of Finn and Rose? Well, I, I hopped into the Facebook group right after I saw it. Uh, I came back from my blackout and started defending it immediately um, because I saw somebody that is a part of this discussion um, saying very, very <laughs> mean things about it. Um, I I personally thought it was great. It, it bit a little bit long, but Finn's development over the course of this movie, I mean, it, it was great. You, you have him go only thinking about himself and Ray and willing to abandon the resistance to willing to make the ultimate sacrifice by the Rose in the movie. If his time with DJ isn't in the movie, none of that plays. And, and so I, I thought great arc that we got to see them go on. I loved the most Isley style setup of this is a place with the worst possible people, but then it flipping on us and it being the, the wealthy elite, um, not a dingy little cantina somewhere. So I, I really enjoyed it. I loved DJ and I loved Rose. I thought both those characters were really good. Um, and Finn's arc was very satisfying for me. Eric, I have to comment. If star Wars is the mirror we hold up to our society, um, you know, you know, if it's, if it's shown light on the perceived troubles of our society, cause like George Lucas's clear disdain of fascism and the rise of faceless industry is very clear in the original trilogy. Um, the prequels are one giant story about the death of democracy in the face of a powerful demagogue, something that's startlingly relevant today. Um, then when I look at what Canto Bite represents, the most evil place in the galaxy is a luxury city owned and operated by the one percent. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, I just want to say I see in the chat IS Destroyer saying that the the whole adventure was ultimately pointless because they didn't accomplish their goal. Mm. But how many goals go unrealized over the course of the original trilogy? I mean, uh, Han, Luke, Obi Wan don't make it to Alderaan. Luke does not rescue his friends being tortured by Vader. Like that's they're, they're very oh, wow. stars. That's the reason for the narrative dice. You fail, but something happens. They, uh, th our plans fail throughout the saga, and then they still find a way. Like even the shield bunker, it was all a trap. They screwed it all up. They didn't get anything. They got ambushed. They still pulled it off. I, failure doesn't mean. It doesn't mean worthless or that the character development didn't happen just because, I mean, the first order plans failed too. So well, the goal, the goal wasn't the, the goal wasn't to uh, uh, get a slicer and find a way to let them jump to hyperspace. The goal was to develop Finn's character. 
<laughs> and in that level, they succeeded. <laughs> I liked Rose being the the. Finn had to decide: Am I in this or am I not in this? I'm going to get killed. I'm out. I liked how Rose was showing him what happens throughout the galaxy. It's not just about you. Um, sucked and what you went through sucked and that that stinks i'm sorry but look around you man like she says look closer um and i that's what came in to saying let's go for it and in fact and you know he wasn't too cowardly liony uh he he's the one who came up with the plan in the first place um i i gotta be honest i don't know how you guys feel um i thought he was gonna die i really did i i thought they were gonna kill finn i thought he was dead i thought and that I really did. And because it had so many left turns up to that point, I thought all bets were kind of off at this point. And I really didn't know. So when it first happened, I didn't get it. I also am a little fresh. I'm seeing memes going around making fun of Rose's line about stop fighting what you hate, say what you love. And I thought that was Star Wars. I thought it was great. I it, see people making fun of it, but uh, I thought it was great. That arc worked for me. It was great. As Eric said, the one, that was one of the big issues that film and i think it's because i felt that at the end of it even though I, I accepted that there was a failure there that's not a problem the issue that i had come out of there with something and i was making suggestions that maybe that if finn had learned about this child for sensitive and that when he meets up with um, with ray the perhaps he could say something like oh look there's there's some earlier and she said you know um we need to focus on what's happening now we can deal with that um, mm. it fills in all of those gaps the thing which we got out of it was that finn came not just this coward anymore he came out of that as the hero so that he can then Effectively, that's great. That's great. And, and, you know, the the there was that that uh, tension also that DJ provided. You know, to try to tempt, basically tempt Finn to the dark side once again. That you know, basically don't you know don't join uh, if you want to win. Uh, just don't join. And he 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 rejected that. And you know, at least tacitly, he was I, he was the devil with the apple. Effectively. Mm -hmm. To go, I, look, you know, do you want to um, uh, do you want to keep on fighting this fight, uh, or do you just want to survive like I am? You know, be like me or don't be like me. And obviously, he's just gone. Nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice myself for the greater good. And it's that Rose comes in, and because we've now established that there is that that relationship between the two and the chemistry between those. Is, I think was absolutely fantastic, and I would love yeah. to see the adventures of Finn and Rose as an on. Amazing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I just think that um, yeah, that that whole sequence to me, although initially unnecessary, is definitely yeah, it's great. I, I just want to say real quick, I love DJ's character. I've seen him get some flack, and my favorite moment from that character was his exit from the film when he he gives his last last manifest of his belief structure and finn says you're wrong and his response is 
maybe like he can't even commit enough to his own ideology he he has to play both sides even in an argument about, argument about what he believes yeah so that's a master stroke yeah. yeah the thing that i liked about him is clearly he has far too many shocks with that stutter in his <laughs> it's like yes he's um sliced too many things i I think in time. So uh, no, just I love DJ. I thought he was great. Has yeah. he done what uh, the BB-8 kind of repairs, where he just sticks his head into it and allows himself <laughs> to be executed or electrocuted? <laughs> yes. <laughs> See now, as far as DJ goes, I think that this the, the, if there's you no know, there's folks are complaining that oh there's nothing that came out of this arc. Ultimately, it was a failure. It, it it they didn't even get to accomplish the goal that they wanted to. I think the goal. Of that entire scene and that entire arc was twofold. First, it was to kind of introduce us to introduce us to that kid that we see at the end of the movie, and second, to introduce DJ and his character. And we know he is going to be playing some kind of role in Episode Nine, and this is really setting everyone up as a you traitorous bastard. How are we going? We're, we're not going to work with you, or or you, you're you're a traitor. You 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 sold us out. Blah blah blah. So I think that as far as the whole that whole arc goes, I do agree that it kind of feels like it fell flat in some areas, but I think that whole thing was supposed to be it was supposed to have us introduce Jay, who will play a bigger role in nine. So on that note, do you think he's going to be a big you know just basically a Han Solo Lando sort of character at that point? Um, exactly, you know? exactly. And you know he's 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 out there for himself now. Is he, now the way everything's going, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he sticks with that whole Han Solo mentality of no, I'm just a merc, instead of Han like you know and Han Lando coming over to the good guy side. I would not be surprised if he stays gray. Yep, because the I mean in the years to follow, we're going to have war in the galaxy. He's going to have a lot of sides to play. Um, and the way Johnson set him up was you meet him, he's a criminal. Oh wait, he's helping. Oh wait, now he wants money. Oh wait, now he's cool again. Oh wait, now he's not. Like in the movie, he flipped five times, I think. Uh, so Absolutely. you're not gonna know. Yeah, you're not gonna know what's going on. I agree. I think he's gonna stay, stay gray, work for a hut. Who knows? He's just a self-interested character. I yep. mean, that's that's he. Now it's all. I mean, he never flipped. It was all self-interest the entire time. Oh, you're all gonna pay me? Great. All of it. All of it. Yeah, I want this. Yep. And notice he doesn't give her he doesn't give her back the expensive medallion until after he's already cut a deal with the first order, right? He doesn't care anymore. He's like, I'm getting paid. <clears throat> Here you go. <laughs> yep. It's yeah. It's a self interested character. The only so you think he he sorry you think he alerted the the first order that they were there? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I I did not read it that way. I, that way I thought he cut a deal in prison. I thought yeah, BB-9. I thought got, yeah. BB-9E uh, detected them. Yeah, okay. yeah, I thought that was it. Because they rolled BB-9E out first when the bad guys came out. They rolled him out first as the signal that that's who, you know, kind of caught him. Okay, yeah, okay, I see that now. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see that. Because the thing which I had a, a little bit of an issue with, but I caught it on the second viewing again, um, is that I can see a theme happening. Um, is that I didn't sort of pick up on the fact that um, DJ knew that um, uh, the the smaller ships were going out, and then I sort of picked up on the fact that yes, he was still in the room when 
uh, Poe and Finn were having the conversation. So that's because that's the, the information that he used to get leverage to let the Empire let it go. Yeah. I hadn't caught that on three viewings, so nicely done. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem that I had with it. I'm going, where's the connection? It was sort of introduced this character, and then all of a sudden there's been a sellout, but it didn't really make any sense. That was sort of a continuity error that I thought existed, but it's a case of, no, it's there. You just got to look for it. And that's the one thing that I think that Ryan Johnson does throughout this entire film, which is something that I loved about Blade Runner as an example, is that it doesn't treat the the audience like an idiot. And it's something that Hollywood is notorious for doing lately, is that they're, uh, you know, they're giving that exposition and they're telling you. Chris, you mentioned it before with the whole lightsaber thing. It's right. Then Ryan just does not worry about i have to over explain this i'm going to show you once and if you can't get it uh, come back and see it again yeah watch looper um (laughs) (laughs) uh, just one of my favorite films but yes (laughs) yeah no it's a it's a it's a very good film um uh, yeah yeah um you know i think i think the I don't know. I, I don't know if if uh, my wife and I have had discussions about this. I don't know if um, if Finn and Rose are are into each other. I mean, obviously she gave him a kiss, but if you, it was it was a pretty half hearted kiss, and I think it's a little bit of of idolatry and fan worship on her part, perhaps. Um, but you know, I think for him, this is the first time I think anyone's ever probably looked at this at him that way ever. Um, and it's certainly got to be a bit of a shock. I mean, this is a, a kid. I, I said something online. This is a, a guy who was raised from as a baby to be a stormtrooper. Conditioned, okay? You know, when he has issues, he's told to, told to report to reconditioning, okay? I mean, so it's most likely he's never kissed anyone before, all right? And, and you know, when he finally gets free and on his own in episode seven, you know, he meets Ray. She's pretty. It's like, oh, hey, uh, well, you got you got a boyfriend. You got a, you got a boyfriend. I mean, he, he's so awkward. He has no idea how to talk to a woman and <laughs> or even even manage the feelings that he might finally be allowed to allowing himself or be allowed to have. Um, and I don't think he knows what to make of Rose just yet, um, but he knows he cares for her. Um, I'm interested to see where they go if they go anywhere. It'll be interesting. If she's not back in episode nine, I'll be pissed. Mm, I agree. No, I think she. Well, they say she was. I thought. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Ray, don't. It is going to be interesting because Ray gave him a look at the at the end in the Falcon after they had their hug and they finally saw each other and they're both okay. Uh, she and Finn. Then in the Falcon, she kind of she's the one we see through her eyes. She looks over at him blanket and whatever and she doesn't have a sad look on her face but but she's got kind of a look so i will be disappointed if she's not in it too because i think that whole story of where he going i think there's a whole bunch you can tell there yeah so okay speaking of ray um you know as we're going through the film um you know while all this is going on in canto bite ray's continuing her training on octo and we have the cave we have we have Ray's dark side cave journey mirror mirror. Um, visually, I thought it was very intriguing. It was not what I expected, um, and the result of it was also not what I expected. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. And and Phil, did Dave, did we talk about this on Defenders? I don't remember if we if we talked about the cave sequence at all. Um, I don't think we did. No, we did not. We did I don't not. Think so. Okay. I mean, what were y'all's what were y'all's thoughts on on the cave sequence? Dave? Um <clears throat> I thought it was I thought it was really I, I really don't know if I'm going to say well done or just it's just it was looking it, it, I mean the same thing as Dagobah right you're really looking at yourself and when Vader's helmet cracks a thing you know different manifestation with the mirrors and everything else um, but I, I still thought it was done effectively I, I I had zero I had zero problems with it in fact I kind of liked it it was uh, and, and again you know me trying to trying to draw parallel parallels be, uh, in, while I'm in the film. You know, was just thinking, ah, oh, this is just going to be another Dagobah. But it turned out to be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more than just that because he had, oh yeah, who are your parents? Ah, I'm looking at myself. what, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was a non-answer in my opinion, and and uh, you know, really that whole thing just, you know, she was already narrating to Kylo. Um, you know, they they switched to their their forced conversation right after that. Um, you know, she was already explaining to Kylo how how lonely it felt and how how she wasn't really afraid, but just it, it and but she didn't really get anything out of it, and so that that led her to to seek out Kylo all the more. I think was 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 kind of what I got out of it. Well, I I kind of took away from I mean the taking a step back from biology and who are your parents, and it's it's the people that raised you, the people that influenced who you are once you're a self-realized, actualized adult. And for Ray, that is Ray. Like Ray is a product of, of her own survival skills. She has made herself into what she is, not, not anybody else. And I think that plays into the nobody reveal later of she doesn't come from anybody. She made who she is on her own on Jakku. And so that that was my takeaway is that it's a reflection of herself because she is the one who is in control of who she is. That's a very interesting this take. Kind of this kind of proves this kind of proves what a genius scene that actually is because everything everybody said is probably correct. It's it's definitely the most cerebral scene in the movie. Here's what I I took was um, she says I want to see my parents, but I kind of took it as a that black compass that Jack Sparrow always has, it points you to the thing that you you're longing for the most, the thing that you want the most. And she's always said it's her parents. And when I looked at that and she looked back and saw herself, I, I took that as, you know, well, everything that you need, everything you need to do what you need to do. It's similar to what Eric said. It's, it's inside you. You're it. You, you do not need them. You don't know anything. And, and going to the game, um, I needed to create a, uh, force vision for my son, when he needed to find his crystal for his saber and in reading how the book kind of talked about how to do that it it talks very much at length about how personable and personal it is to everybody and every vision is different and everyone's experience in that vision is different and i i kind of went to that when i watched that and um i i kind of got it that ray just needed to really find herself and she walked out and said i i didn't find anything there's nothing here no she found herself, and that's really all she needed in the first place. And then it goes to what Leia said: everything we needs here. It's that's it. You don't need anything else. So it's a pretty deep, deep scene. With if if you 
and start digging. Hmm. Mm. Phil, um, I want to skip forward a bit because you had some comments about this. Talking about Ray's parentage and this <laughs> in related to the comments that you made earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, can, can you elaborate on this? Because I, I, I fully agree with everything you believe on this regarding Ray's parentage and you know, the lightsaber over the shoulder, the death of Snoke, all of it. Oh, yeah, and and that's that this film was all about trolling all the fan theories that have been out there since episode 7. Who are Ray's parents? Who is Snoke? Ultimately, the answer is a disappointment to everyone who wanted to have figured it out. Ray's parents are inconsequential. Who Snoke was doesn't matter. They're not the story. The story is a scavenger girl from a nowhere planet who's going to restore the Jedi Order. The story is the son and heir of the most powerful force-using bloodline in the galaxy, fulfilling his family destiny and attempting to rule the galaxy. Where they came from doesn't matter. And I, 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 it's one of the things I, I, especially upon seeing it the second time, I really enjoyed. It's, mm. it's that whole, and, and this is why a lot of folks, are just uh, I, and I have to figure that this is why a lot of folks are are all up in arms about how this doesn't feel like Star Wars and and how you know there's there's it doesn't feel right it, it's not a Star Wars film it's because it takes that thought that what came before doesn't matter and throws it right over the shoulder <laughs> and I don't think the point of the movie was to troll the fans but the idea no, is no no this, no yeah um, but it, it I'm, I'm 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 sure. Or like they were all saying, oh, okay, raised parents are so and so. What? All these people have figured it out? Screw it. Let's change it. No, I don't think that happened at all. No. It's it's interesting that, that Bob Iger has said that he read the script for episode eight on the plane uh, to go to the episode seven premiere in China, I think. So before this movie was out, this was written this way. And that's even more surprising. He didn't even have time to download what everyone was talking about and then kind of flip it. Like I even said in my in my, my kind of you know in in the summary at the beginning uh, this was decided long before everyone knew what everyone was going to be talking about and uh that makes it even more, more genius <laughs> and like like dustin Kenyon, one of the staggering dragon guys is in chat he says so what's the point of having a jedi training academy if ray can come from literally nothing with no training and beat down someone like kylo and the answer is there is no point in having the Jedi Training Academy. That was one of the points they made. It 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 burned to the ground, and I th- I think I think this is what's most uh, so unsettling for so many so because it it takes all this canon and pseudo canon and wads it up and throws it into a ball. And I'm at the point now I'm completely fine. I'm completely fine with it. It's like that was the point of the film. It's like it doesn't matter where you come from. That was one of the key points. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your bloodline is. And if, even if it is great, you're going to screw up and you're destined to be a despot or do something really stupid. But the, the hero, the heroism and the power in this, in this particular story they presented is the fact that somebody from nowhere can make a change and do something. And ironically, that was the point of episode four as well. But we mythologized it. 
And and to well, Dustin, uh, I would I would say, don't forget what Snoke said when he said, "Darkness rises and and light comes to meet it." He he. There was another sentence I can't remember what he said, but he's saying to Kylo Ren, "Oh, that's what the Force does. You kept growing in power, and the Force kept making sure someone else did too, so that you balanced." So there's a, even a canonical reason for her power and and all that. That's a little special and kind of weird because of him. Well, and one one other thing about like the point of a Jedi training academy, if Ray can do all this stuff, when we see Yoda training Luke, like Yoda treats Luke as if he could lift the X wing out of the swamp at any point. He, yeah, he doesn't need to teach him how to do that. It's unlocking that ability behind, like from his own mental walls. Obi Wan says, "I failed you, Anakin," not because he didn't train him to be good with a lightsaber or force push. He didn't treat him how to use the force wisely and stay mentally balanced. That's what you, that's what Jedi train for, or at least in an world. Like it's, it's using the force appropriately, appropriately, not how to use the force. So, yeah, but I don't think they change things just to change things. I don't think they twisted everything just, just for the sake of doing it. There was a clear purpose behind what they did. And I happen to like that purpose. So, um, agreed. One of the one of the most disappointing things that I had found out about uh, JJ and his writing of, of the uh, episode seven was that he didn't necessarily have all the answers to all the questions that he was posing. Uh, you know what what does happen in episode today? What does Luke do with the lightsaber? Where who who are Ray's parents? And I don't know that he knew. I think he left it uh, ambiguous on purpose for for the next writers. Uh, so, Johnson says he was in on a lot of it, and he even went to Scalag Island while they were shooting. I, I think he was in lockstep with with everything. I think he had. In fact, they said they allowed Johnson to do some filming preliminary while they were filming ending up seven, so that there'd be continuity in the sh- shots and things. So I would imagine some of it he was heavily involved because they announced him doing two not that long after they announced JJ doing the first one. So I'll bet he talked to him a lot. But he knew. Well, and Donald, I'll just say, is a longtime fan of J.J. Abrams. It would not shock me at all to find out he didn't know the answer to a lot of the questions he was posing. <laughs> so I'm well, still and, I'm still hurt by lost. lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 something about uh, TV uh, developers is that the, you know the, to to create a, a compelling. I think there's a, a theory out there that you don't necessarily have the end game in mind when you're creating the pilot. You're just uh, you're setting up all these different strands. You're setting up uh, the raw materials for the story makers to then uh, do what they will later on. And I think that really is what JJ was doing with Seven in a lot of ways. And that's somewhat disappointing. It's it's kind of um, you know it, it takes the the veil back a little bit over the magic from me, but. At the same time, it's it's interesting. It makes it makes it all the more impressive what Ryan was able to do with this movie. And and you know, it's not that he was going against or counter to what JJ was doing. He just JJ set up the the rules to the game, and then Ryan played you know played the hand that, that uh, he wanted to to play. And it was it was just amazing. And so it wasn't inconsistent at all. It was just not the way we thought it was going to go, which is great. Well, Donald Chris gave you the answer, and that was. It didn't matter. JJ didn't have to have those answers for the story of episode seven. None of that stuff matters. Didn't matter. Didn't need to be his decision. I don't have any problem with him not figuring out the next five hours worth of movie and where it goes. Doesn't doesn't matter. 
didn't matter well, for them. I, I, mean, I agree now. When I first found out about it, I was I was somewhat disenchanted. I'm like, what do you mean he didn't have the end in mind? I figured he would have, you know, the whole the the George Lucas, you know, 12, 12 episodes in, all in his brain already, you know, sketched out. And that's not that's not what JJ had. And um, you know, there's for that. And I think it it just what matters is what comes out of that process. And I think I think we've got episode eight, which is just wonderful. Did, did George actually really do that? <laughs> That's a good question. No, but he was I... obviously he was changing things in the middle. Like I heard that you know Layla was not originally his sister. You know, so no, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't. If, George if George had no people. George had no continuity whatsoever, and his claims to do so are complete crap. And if you look at his yeah. notes and you look at interviews and you look at everything, he changed the plot a billion times in the middle of making these films. Um, it, yeah. If you look at the prequels, that's, that's, they don't line up. I don't care what anybody no. says. They do not line up with what we see in episode four, unless you go and. Oh, uh, not at all. Oh, by the, oh. If you live by the, the theory that um, Obi-Wan is a liar, then sure. But otherwise, yeah, it just doesn't kind of marry up. And that's the, the problem the, that I think a lot of people have got the, with the prequels. But that aside. Yeah, I mean. The yeah, best I mean, the defense best that you've defense. got for Lucas there in that case is uh, that it was from a certain point of view that uh, Obi-Wan's story was true, which, uh, you know, to some people, yeah. Okay, and I want to I say this, and I, I want to move on because we're going to lose film a little bit, and there's something very important we need to get to. Um, sure. uh, but, uh, look, it, to, to say they don't have a plan or that nothing is, is, is set is, 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 is incorrect, there is we, we there is the Star Wars story group. It was established before yep. Episode Seven was created. Pablo Hidalgo is a part of it. Leland Chi is a part of it. There's all these other notables that are a part of it. And this story has been planned. At least the major beats, the outline, if you will, has been planned. Now every director and every writer is gonna is gonna take that and mold it ever so slightly. And if there is one complaint, I really would agree with it's the fact that we don't have a unified direction. Um, in these films, and that's very clear, especially if you look at the at, at episode seven versus episode eight. It's very clear their their tone is different. Everything is incredibly different, even though they're both working off that overall general Lucasfilm story group outline, um, and 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 decision tree. But LFL doesn't give these guys free reign. There is a there is a structure, a story beat set that they have to follow. And everyone who's directed and written and worked with LFL is like, no, they lock it down tight. Um, so what you're seeing is planned. Um, now that opens up a whole different discussion as to whether this plan is shit. <laughs> and you felt like they switched, <laughs> like they, they switch baited you. Um, but, but, and, and maybe they did. I, I, I do think the episode seven style was a very intentional, like warm blanket, as I said before, and they intended then, okay, we're going to now, now that people are comfy and happy and willing to pay money to go to the theaters, we will go in the direction we need to go. Um, but but there is that. We can we can come back to this. Phil, I know we're going to lose you in like 20, 30 minutes. And there's something I really wanted to get to because yeah. you had so much thought on this. And that is actually let, – let's, let's take a quick aside to talk about – a lot of the things we've talked about to this point, I think we can, now that we've set the stage, we can have this comfortable conversation. Using episode eight in your RPG games. Um, dude, man, walk us through some of your thoughts on this because you have quite a few. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's already stuff like uh, I, I can't tell bite. Um, you should be able to use that in in your games now. The only question is, is like if you're running a like a rebellion era game, um, how much and how prominent is Cantel Bite at this point? Um, is it, you know, is it as rich and luxurious as it is as we see in Episode Eight, or is it kind of more like Las Vegas when it first got going? You know, like back in the '50s and '60s, where it has the potential to grow to be the bright lights glimmering city that it is now but it's just kind of starting out that could be an interesting way to take canto bite at this point too so what you're saying is i need to build joe pesci as a pc and we need to play a game of casino <laughs> pretty much yeah pretty much but ultimately this brings us to the question is there enough material now to really run a star wars game in this era the uh, force awakens last jedi era because if you think about it the force awakens didn't give us much to be able to build a campaign on a couple one-shots, maybe, but you'd have to kind of make a lot of it up by yourself if you want to do a full Force Awakens era campaign. New material was very sparse, and the story options kind of felt limited if you're the type of person who wants to sort of stick within the canon or at least parallel the canon, as it were. I mean, we've had that sort of discussion on shows before. But with The, with the Last Jedi... We now have a host of new ships, new planets, new technology, and plot lines that we can run with. So ultimately, guys, where do you take it? Oh, man. You can I, think, I think Huli should go first on this. We had a conversation. We did. Um, so I think uh, as soon as I've, uh, I've seen the film, even though that I wasn't a fan at the start, I could see the potential for effectively running everything that you've ever wanted to run in uh, a rebellion era campaign and just accelerate it and um, throw it into this because we're, we're starting the rebellion again where, uh, you know, we're, we've got, we know that there are people who are force sensitive out there. So effectively we're doing everything that we've probably been doing since the original trilogy and since, you know, the D6 Star Wars days that we can now go and we can run that campaign with building the rebellion from scratch we can go finding those jedi we can uh, there's just so much potential um that that is so what i'm going to run my next campaign <laughs> well dude if you pick up right where episode eight ended the resistance has what a few dozen people left in it that's it right Nine. Nine. We know that there's people out there, though. We know that they've contacted them. That they're, you know, that that spark, as you mentioned before, it, it's there. Um, so there's there's nothing to stop um, you having um, uh, some of the, uh, you know, a, a rebel cell leader has suddenly received this information. What do you do with it? Right, you have to, you know, start to build up your uh, your base so that you, it, there's just so much. It's basically everything that's in Age of Rebellion um, that you can now run with this new setting, with all of the, you know, the, the uh, sparkly new things that we're seeing in the films, which is, I think, more than what you could do with Episode 7. As you said, there just wasn't enough information there. But as soon as you've got um, this new film, you've got that information to play with. Which is great. Do it. I think yeah. you could. I think you could also come at it from 
remember the first, so there's a huge difference between what the first order is doing and what palps did so palpatine grew everything from within he made sure he had his tentacles into everything and then he flipped a switch and he had control of everything yeah this is di- they're just mowing people down like this is really this is more space hitler than than the emperor was they're just going to invade subjugate systems and and wipe you out that is a whole different ball game than a subjugated system or or galaxy, and I think that's really interesting to play with. It, it's right. Rice, I mean, they even, the they even the say people. it. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Phil. Now, I was about to say, they, they even say it, is that the First Order is going to was going to gain control of all the major systems within weeks. That means they haven't consolidated their power yet, or at least they haven't been able to take control of – uh, Quat and and the Corellian sector and Coruscant and all these other prominent planets. And when the rebellion, when the resistance reaches out to the outer rim for allies, no one replies because they all think that we can't stand against the first order. What do we have? Mm. But the story of Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, facing down the first order, facing down Kylo Ren, that lights the spark. It's the story that gets out there, and it's a story. That allows folks to build this new rebellion. The new rebellion. A new rebellion is born today. I could take. I could take one planet and do an entire campaign around the first order invading. I could. That's all I would need, and I could take an entire yeah, campaign could. out of that. You absolutely could. Yeah. And that's have where I, you have... go. Your characters are part of this new rebellion. They're establishing strike bases. They're establishing listening posts, safe houses training centers to help build and support a new rebellion or just trying to save home just just trying to save home and with the three systems that we've got edge of the empire age of rebellion and force and destiny we've got so much that we can do with them like let's focus the first example edge of the empire the fringe is huge right now Hmm. with those in the fringe starting to either pick sides or try to stay out of the fight just like they were in the galactic civil war edge Hmm. of the empire is almost a direct port it can be especially interesting if you're trying to just be one of these uh, fringer types and the First Order invades your planet. That's going to put you on a side right quick. Yeah. Oh. Force and Destiny, you could be a janitor who uses the Force to pick up a broom. broom. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, Force and Destiny, actually, that's something really interesting. Force and Destiny, darkness and light to meet it. Ben Solo left with many students from Luke's Academy. I think he said, what, like a half dozen or something like that? Yeah. Yep. Are these the Knights of Ren? Mm, where are, are they? they the new Inquisition? Yeah. Mm. Could they be out there finding other Force Sensitives and grow their numbers in the, the Knights of Ren? And the Rebellion is going to need those trained in the Force to counter them. And while Rey saved the original Jedi text from Octo, there are sources of knowledge out there for a new Jedi order to find. I think that the thing which is uh, to to hold it in contrast to the the original Civil War that we've got both sides who are they've both taken massive losses. The rebellion obviously or the resistance more so, but we've just had the you know knowing that they don't have a a head office so to speak, they've just had this of ship which has been destroyed so they kind of have to to rebuild as well so if you want to turn that on its head a bit there's nothing to say if you wanted to run an imperial sort of style campaign that you've been sent out 
to find other worlds to um, to um, scout, to conquer, and whatever else first up. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot more room, I think, to to go on both sides rather than just focus on an age of rebellion campaign as well. It's rebellion. rebellion. Um, you got all this stuff to build, right? Mm. The Radis is gone. You mm. got to build a new fleet. Mm. You got to build and support it. A new rebel base needs to be established. Where are these folks going to live? It's 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 like just after um, it's like any adventure that's between um, um, Yavin and the Hoth. Yeah, you know, yep. there, there there's going to be scouts out there who are going to be trying to find new bases and a new base set up here. Oh no, this didn't work. Got to set up a new base. Um, we've got what a couple dozen folks now. Mm. So you got to build an army, raise it, fund it, supply it, and support it. And the funding guess- and supplying can be a real thing because. They they touched on the morality of hey you guys are buying from these same guys too yeah. like you're you're you could play with a whole morality set in there brings us back to Canto Bite well and what I think is interesting and Swift Draw brought this up in chat of the the First Order not being nearly as uh, prolific as the Empire was in the Galactic Civil War and so I could see a, a campaign long story of your your group of resistance fighters maybe racing the same group of First Order soldiers to planets and trying to win hearts and minds and convert the planet to your cause. Mm-hmm. And um, because the First Order isn't in a place where they can just in, largely wholesale invade, especially with a lot of their fleet being taken out by Holdo's Gambit. And so having having it be that that dark reflection once again that balance darkness and light rising where you, you're both doing the same things just in in different ideologies just makes you wonder whether ffgs had a quiet word in the story um the story groups here <laughs> probably the probably the other way around um what what i've taken from this discussion though is that my next PC needs to wield a broom. We need to stat out. <laughs> we need to stat out a broom, and I, you know, I need that's him a, to. That's to be, an improvised weapon, right? Oh uh, yeah, but but like we'll we'll stat it out proper, and it needs to be like an awesome. He he never leaves it, and he kicks ass with the broom. He takes it everywhere he goes, and he uses move on it. You know, he whacks people in the head with it, and then pulls it back to himself. You know, that yeah, dude. Got a lot of duct tape on it by then. <laughs> so guys, quick question for you. How do we do it? I mean, there isn't a Force Awakens Last Jedi setting book out there right now. How do you get the material together to to make this go? Well, there's plenty of material out there. You I own some of it. Um there you go. Source material, man. The visual the visual dictionary for episode eight is awesome. I love the little nod to fantasy flight games though. Which one? There's there's this, this, the, those those dice that Luke oh. pulls off the Falcon. That's they're right. set, they're from a set called Fantafly Polyhedral Dice. Yep. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. It's it's in the dictionary. <laughs> I blame ha- Pablo Hidalgo wow. for that, as do a few others. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so cool. 
Well, there's also the Force Awakened beginner game. They've got stats for all the First yes. Order troopers. They've got all the the stats for, I think, officers. There's everything you saw in Force Awakens is a is a base stat. Uh, the gangsters, the different things. That's that's all in there. Uh, of course, reskinning uh, anything in AOR would be would be fair game. Absolutely. I don't think a lot of work has to be done. To be perfectly honest, um, you just have to have. Uh, and I think, as Chris said, as long as you've got the Visual Dictionary for uh, Episode 7 and Episode 8, I think you've got everything that you need because, you know, again, similar to the way the Genesis is, everything old is new again. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Reskin, reskin. Do you really need to know the difference between a T-65 and a T-70X wing or a Rebellion nope. A-wing and a Resistance A-wing? Nope. Um, I mean, just... Use the same or stats. The light, yeah. Re- you know, yeah, yeah. You use the same stats. I mean, you may need to toss some token shields, maybe bump a hyperdrive capability, a missile launcher under some ties. You'd be fine. Um, mm. The same goes for resurgent class star destroyers. Just use the stats for the imperial star destroyers. No changes. Nobody's gonna know the difference. Nobody. None of your players will ever know the difference. Nope. Even the E eleven stats can be I. You, you troopers are more than I, whatever the new guns the first over troops carry, but I'm sure the E11 is damn near the exact same stats. If not, they are. Uh, it's the F11. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was so complicated, I couldn't get my head around it. I know, right? All right, all right. So I'm sure yeah, the stats it, are literally identical. They're painted a little white. Who cares? Just, just use the blaster, use that. blaster rifle. That's all it is. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's an A280, if it's, if it's a a a E11. No, it doesn't matter. Blaster rifle stats. And I mean, if you want to introduce a new technology into it, fine. But totally, it, totally. the stats doesn't need to be really any different than, than what it was before. Um, Interesting game question. And because the Genesis podcast is on, I want to ask this. I was watching. I can't watch Star Wars without thinking about the game now. Well, I was <laughs> watching Star Wars. Now that we have an hour long chase and remember the 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 cruiser was quote too far away for the guns to be very effective, but the guns were still hitting the ship's shield a lot of damage. Where my brain went was that's the new rules in Genesis for vehicle stuff. It's based on on range, not silhouette size, and if you're just within the range band. Yep. I kind of thought that this was. I don't know, a Star Wars canonical example of that new system that they're too far away. Now they're just kind of, they're like pebbles bouncing off a pond. They're just not hurting. Uh, if they got closer, it would. Um, I don't know. I probably dug way too deep for that. But I, I personally think that you're probably overthinking it. But my take on that would be... <laughs> that, nah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this show is all about, isn't it? Um, I think that what um, uh, it's... That, to me, was the GM saying, um, uh, just reminding the players that they have these big, bad ships in the background that are chasing you. Mm. And they're out of range. They're still there because the ship shakes every so often. There's another barrage of shots, fires across um, the shields. That's all. It's, It's a narrative thing. It's a setting thing. It's not a rules thing, I don't think. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. Very cool. What a conversation, Killer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good. It's good. 
I, I really wanted to have that aside, guys, so we could talk about implementing what we've seen. Um, so, Phil, I know you have to get up at the butt crack of dawn for physical therapy yeah. for for cancer treatment. I don't I don't know if you are able to stick around any longer. Um, but no, that's pretty much it, folks. Okay. Um, well, good night, Phil. Very right, good, sir. gentlemen. Bye. Guys, it's been, it's been uh, absolutely fun to uh, have you on the show and join you for this wonderful discussion. Mm. But, uh, yeah, once again, uh, Gamer Nation, always happy, always pleasure. And if I don't get to talk to you until then, everyone have a happy holidays and may the dice be with you. Good night, Phil. Okay, well, let's continue with our discussion of the film. Where, 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 where I really wanted to get to is I wanted to talk toward. I wanted really wanted to speak to the last act, and and kind of kind of talk through um, everything that really occurred on and around and on board Snoke's flagship, and then and then kind of talk about some of the general themes um, that we're left with from the film. But guys, Snoke's flagship. Oh my God! I mean, so much happened. Um, We've already jawed on about Ray's parentage and kind of what we think about that. But the other big twist and turn in this was the death of Snoke. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, like online, people are like, you know, like Phil was saying, you know, for two years, people are like, who's Snoke? Who's Snoke? You know, some people are like, I don't know. He's, he's Emperor Snoke. Who is he? And, and the answer to the question is, it doesn't matter because he's dead. <laughs> I think that Ryan Johnson went and looked at every single fan theory and just said, you know what? Fuck you all. <laughs> well, didn't he tweet out, I'm, I'm, like, your Snoke theories useless or something like that? I think I remember that. I feel sorry for Daisy Ridley on every couch of every interview when people asked who her parents were and the whole time she knew, it just doesn't matter. It just <laughs> doesn't. But... Uh, the, the flagship in that throne room had three moments where my theater erupted in cheering. Um, so well done. I, I, that, that was a case where they took a fan theory of, you know, a lot of people thought Kylo was going to flip. Uh, we actually talked about the possibility of Snoke not making it out of this movie on our show. Um, and they dangled it in front of you for five minutes and took it away. <laughs> yeah. And what I thought was great was, because it was so reminiscent of of Anakin to Padme or Vader to Luke, she kind of said what we were thinking, which they didn't have a debate of whether or not they should or shouldn't or talking into it. She just said, please don't do this. No, don't. Please don't go there. Don't go there. And I loved the reaction um, from her. I loved how she played it. Um, that whole throne room scene and then the fight. I mean, oh I, 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 that has got to be... If like the film, there is no way that action sequence isn't, I don't, Oh man, I'm trying to think of a better, look, I, the Vader Luke lightsaber fight will always emotionally for beat me be the top of the pyramid. It'll never get better than that. However, I don't know how you beat that. That scene was crazy. That was a role playing game fight sequence with insanity in it. That was nuts. That was great. A. that was awesome. The thing with, that I think, and we were talking about this when I say we, I'm talking about the, the other uh, hosts of our podcast, is that we were talking about just the cinematography for that sequence. 
the fact that everything is so red and by the end of it, and it's a gradual thing that you don't realise you're seeing until the very end, is that suddenly all of that restriction, which is that red, has all been burnt away. Yep. And it's black, it's, it's dark. It's, and it's everything like the, the uh, it's raining fire, um, that yeah, just that whole sequence just is amazing, and I'm I'm a big fan of, and I know I'm probably um, isolated here, but one of my favourite sequences out of the entire saga is the confrontation in episode three, because I just love that the the way that they change locations from a from even from a role playing perspective that they've started in, in one sort of throne room and obviously somebody's rolled to despair and wanted to change the locations because that particular... <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it sort of moved on. But this was just... There was storytelling, so there was more of that don't, um, uh, you know, don't tell show. That sort of thing that's going on in that scene is just amazing. And some of the weapons that are there, I know that... Um, I was talking to um, Susan White from the um, Dice for Brains. Dice for Brains. Yeah. And she was basically saying that the uh, the thing which she loved the most was the uh, the whip that uh, that they had. That, and I'm just going, yeah. That, I just love if – I wish they'd sort of explain a little bit more about the, the Praetorian Guards, and I'm sure we'll probably get – additional books and whatever else. I didn't need it for this film, but just that whole sequence, yeah, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, my big thing with that that whole sequence, especially going back to Snoke's death, was the, the fan reaction to it of just anger and throwing <laughs> bile of just, they, they ruined Snoke, they screwed it all up. He... Like he was not hyped up, I feel like, in The Force Awakens. I watched The Force Awakens right before I went and saw The Last Jedi. And like he was just a presence there, exactly like the Emperor was in Empire Strikes Back. We built the hype. The fandom built the hype around Snoke. And he died with about as much character development as the Emperor got in Return of the Jedi. Like he was the boss of the bad guy we actually care about. And it wasn't until the prequels that we got it all fleshed out and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Praetorian Guards are incredible. And I just think the acting, once again, going back to what I said at the top of the show, like the acting and the character work from Daisy Ridley as Rey and Adam Driver as Kylo is is some of the best acting we've seen in any Star Wars film during that whole sequence. I have never seen an actor or actress cry on command as well as she does it is incredible they don't she doesn't just roll a tear they stream down her face and i'm sure she has to do it take after take after take uh that that woman will be employed as long as she wants to keep acting she's fantastic it's interesting the talking about the death of snoke and for anyone who has issue with it uh, listen He's not interesting. <laughs> and I, I, do, I mean, I th- it's hard It's hard to admit to yourself. Um, but, I mean, Dave, you've been conspicuously quiet for a while. I mean, I, I'm really I'm really interested to get your thoughts on Snoke. This is something we, we haven't discussed, and I know we didn't discuss on the movie Defenders, but, um, I mean, I, I, I find him 
he 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 is nothing but a one note character. He's not a character. He's just he's a set piece. And I, I don't know. I mean, Dave, what 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 are your thoughts on on Snoke and his death? I really didn't care one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't. I didn't think it was a. I didn't think it was a poor plot point. I didn't think it was awesome. I mean, I think the 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 scene overall was awesome. The the idea of him betraying his master was very much in line with Sith lore. Um, so I, I didn't have a problem with Snoke being nobody. I didn't have a problem with Ray's parents being nobody, and it fit in the overall what I thought to be the greater theme of the film is, you know, the, the old is past, the new is reborn and you can be anything you want to be. So, you know, I thought it all fit well. The one piece of Snoke. uh, So Eric's correct. Snoke is there to further Kylo Ren's story. Right. And I, uh, the one piece of it that I liked because I, I like everyone that is probably the most similar piece in the movie to any movie we've seen. It's very similar to the throne room piece, even up to Ray being shown the fleet being shot, you know, like Luke was kind of the same thing. But that relationship between Snoke and Ren was not like we've seen. He was antagonizing Ren and insulting him. And it wasn't, oh, my apprentice. And oh, he's powerful. He's going to kick your butt. It, it was, I mean, he pushed him over the edge. He, he insulted him enough that he just couldn't freaking take it anymore. And I, I like, so I liked that aspect of it. I liked that the, the play between them was completely different than we'd ever seen, even though that setting we've seen and we've seen that relationship. This one was an adversarial relationship, uh, and dysfunctional, uh, at best. And I just liked that. And I liked how it kind of turned, it kind of kicked him over the edge and, uh, and made him made him flip for just a minute, and then he kind of turned around, took stock of everyone laying around dead, and went, you know, hey, mine now. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and I think for, oh, from a story standpoint, like it's clear that they made the decision that Ray versus Kylo is going to be the ultimate showdown. Presumably, um, this film has taught me one thing, and it's not to theorize about what's going to happen in the next movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, I think that's safe. I think you're right. Um, so in order for that to be meaningful and impactful, you have to take out the big bad and the big good. Like Snoke versus Luke is the kind of the status quo that we have going into this movie. You have to tear down those idols so that the the second bad and the second good can rise to the occasion and they can be the ones to duke it out. So Snoke surviving this film just would have overcomplicated episode nine because you have to get him out of the way if you want Kylo to be the big bad evil guy. So thing, I don't care about Snoke. I care about Kylo. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Uh, yeah. But Eric's right. If, if he's pr- just his presence mean that the fight Ray's going to have with her is not the biggest fight that there could be. It's still not the top dude. Even if you don't care about him, getting him out of the way makes him the makes Kylo the top dude. And you care about him. Snoke sort of, to me, he feels like the Jabba of this story. I know that sounds a bit weird, but Jabba is referred all the way through the, the original trilogy and we don't actually see him to, to the end. It's a reason why I don't like the prequels. But that's, it's a set piece, as Chris said before. Um, Snoke isn't supposed to be important. He's just the, you know, the mustache twirling bad guy. And there was a thing that I was watching before the, sh- you know, the show tonight 
is that, you know, people are going, oh, but Snoke's not actually dead. It's like, he is. He, <laughs> he is. is. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> he has ceased to be. <laughs> it's like he was supposed to die. He needs to die. As you guys said, he needs to die so that these two, and Luke needs to die, uh, or needed to die, so that both these power-wielding, um, uh, you know, the the focus of the Force, both and the light, so that they can come of age. And the battle that we'll probably get, I reckon, in Episode 9 will be unbelief. Well, and I just want to talk about in chat, There, there's some discussion going on about um, Snoke reading Kylo's mind and not noticing the lightsaber and, and all that stuff. But mm. it's clear that Kylo has mastered this trick. I mean, we see him in episode seven using that against Poe Dameron easily to find the location of the map. We see him doing it against Ray. Those of you that have played Battlefront who know that he he did there also. And so he knows this trick. Snoke taught him how to do this. And with that comes the ability to manipulate that mm-hmm. trick, to shield his thoughts just enough into the broad strokes outline because Snoke walks through what he's reading of you're turning the lightsaber you're going to ignite it to strike down your true enemy like he's he's narrating what kylo's doing just kylo is playing him just enough to not realize his true intention and chris i just wanted to touch on you not caring about snoke and i think the fan theories surrounding him verify that that he's not an interesting character because all the fan theories coming out of episode seven was who are Ray's parents? Uh, does Finn have anybody significant that are his parents? What's the deal? Like it was all surrounding the characters, but it wasn't about the character themselves, except for Snoke. Yeah. Snoke was just such a blank template that everybody's like, well, who is he? He's got to be somebody. He's got to be interesting in some capacity. So how can we make this interesting? Um, there wasn't anything to go off of. And so people created a narrative around him. Okay, so now it, well, and that's, that's how we felt at the end of five a long time ago. We, it was just this glowing blue thing for a yeah. minute. And then, Oh wow. Who's that guy? Who's right? that guy? Oh yeah. But listen, back to the idea of, 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 you know, the death of Snoke and, and like the focus like, and, and that's interesting information. Um, I haven't played, uh, that to that level in, 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 in battlefront yet. Um, to, 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 to know that, um, but I, I spoilers. Saw, sorry. Oh no! It, it, it's I I, I. I I saw it more as it's like what what's 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 Luke's line in Episode Six? Your overconfidence is your weakness, and that's that's really what it comes down to. They established that Snoke is stupidly powerful. I mean, early on with the Force, he's able to he's mastered it. He's able to link Kylo and Rey together in a way that nobody else could have. It would have killed anybody else to do it. He he tosses people around like they're rag dolls without even having to think about it or lift his hand. It, it, it's it's he's stupidly powerful, but you know, and so was the Emperor for that matter. But he's so focused on what's in front of him and what he wants, he can't he can't see the forest for the trees. It's the same reason, I mean, like, the Emperor. The Emperor was so focused on what he was getting and what he was doing to Luke, you fail to notice a seven-foot-tall, armored, heavily-breathing guy coming up behind you <laughs> who's about to pick you up and throw you down a giant shaft because you're, you know, your overconfidence is your weakness. And yeah, no, I... I, I, I really I really enjoyed that. I I laughed. The theater erupted. Um, I thought it was just brilliant. I mean, anybody that's a sports fan knows that a team's weakest moment is when they 
know that victory is imminent. And that's that's for anybody. When you are sure you're going to win, that's when you're at your weakest. I'll I'll add a third reason why it all makes kind of sense, and that is don't forget who did it. This is this is Vader's grandkid. Like they did a very good job in this movie of reminding you from what Leia did to what Luke did at the very end to what Kylo could do that this family is special and they do things people normal people can't do. So not only has he mastered it and he learned how to snoke overconfident, he's also Vader's grandkid. So like Yoda could lift a pinky and you know knock a tree out while he's a ghost. Well do special stuff too okay so let's talk about that all right so as we move to the crescendo <laughs> as we move to the crescendo of this film and its final act um we we and we, we've already talked about and, and if you if you've only seen one viewing i caught it my first viewing but a lot of people didn't catch it that all the jedi texts the i'm assuming they're the journals of the wills um that were in the tree temple uh ray had on the falcon so she took them with her and god bless you yoda yoda pretty much tells you he telegraphs it to you you, you <laughs> what, what, what the exact line was like like all there is for her to learn in there she has i hear something has. to that effect right because yeah. yoda yeah. knows perfectly well and and him torching the tree himself and by the way and we can talk about this i had zero issue people are like, oh a force ghost shouldn't be able to do that who cares <laughs> Like what? Th- that's what you're upset about? Like, like <laughs> well, and, well, and I'll say it again: thing, it's the most powerful Jedi that there's ever been. So why can't he do that? Well, and my thing is, you say a Force Ghost can't do that. Well, a Star Wars movie just told you they could. Yeah, guess like, what? They can. One of these two things is the authority. <laughs> it's like yeah, so I came around on that around too. My second viewing, you know, Yoda manifesting something in the physical space is because Yoda leave it at that. Well, what's also great about that scene is that, um, and I, I get it was puppet Yoda and that's great, but he was empire strikes back. Yoda. He yes. was the wisecracking laughing, making himself laugh. Smart ass. <laughs> Page turners. They are not. <laughs> Page turners. They are not. He was amazing. That was so good. I, Chris said, I think you had said on our show, you welled up a few times. Um, that was one of them for me that, and when, uh, R2 played the message for Luke, I lost it. Oh, I lost it. Oh, and he looks at him and goes, you know what? Cheap move or said, so I was like, oh yeah, it was that, that was cheap. But, uh, anyway, the Yoda thing was fantastic. That Brody. was one of the times that my theater audibly just, everybody just erupted when, and it was so well done that the, that the, the camera just kind of pans and you just see the ears. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody in the theater was like, Yoda! <laughs> well, the thing that I really loved, I loved everything about that scene with Yoda, but the big takeaway for me on the second viewing was Luke's full of it. Like, he comes to destroy the the sacred, to destroy the Jedi, destroy all history of the Jedi, and he can't do it. And then when Yoda dies, it's like, but the sacred text, the Jedi, he can't destroy it. Like, that's such a telling moment of Luke not being able to go through with all this stuff that he's been spouting of, like, he he might think that he believes it, but he knows that there is some validity to the Jedi ideals. And I think a lot of people complaining about Luke's character need to go back to that scene and see it was a lot of bravado. It was a lot of reaction to Kylo's fall, but when push came to shove, he couldn't pull the trigger. Right. Or he'd have burned them, you know, forever ago, years ago. Yeah. It's like that Luke is still learning that he must, 
learn what, what is it? He must unlearn what he has learned. I think. Yeah. Chris, did you like, I loved the reaction Luke had when he turned around and goes, it, he almost said it like, Oh God, you again. Like he's been bugging him for 30 years. Like he <laughs> said, Oh yeah. Master Yoda. Like again, <laughs> I thought that was great. He wasn't surprised to see him. The audience was, he wasn't, he was like, yep, of course you show up now. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No, and I and and again the the one of the ultimate messages here I was will come to one of the themes is is about moving on, um, and em, embracing something new, not not clinging to the past or to tradition, but in you know enjoying what you have, saving what you have, and building something better and brave and new, um, uh, and th- that's something quite frankly I think a lot of fans might be having an issue with. Um, when it comes to the facts of this film, um, it's interesting The the cinema score came out today and it's an A that's the one where they give you surveys like exit polls when you leave a theater. Yeah. Um, we talked about the fan reaction was pretty negative because we were keying off the rotten tomato score, which is kind of all we had when we recorded. Um, and I think you had said, I think that's the internet just doing it's doing what it does. Um, feeding the negativity because the the cinema score has been a a a for all three of these movies, and I wasn't I wasn't surprised that I think people are having problem with things, but I think as they watch and I think they're a vocal minority. Uh, I think it's it's being pretty well received. But this, well, this, if this, I if I would have voted right after, or if I'd have given a score right after I saw it the first time, it would have been like a fifty, mm-hmm. and now it's like a ninety two. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just it just took me a while to process it and go through my grief. I mean, I was grieving Luke. That's what it was. Yeah. I think this is what worries me about this film in because it has decided to do this complete 180 in comparison to what we've seen before oh. is that a lot of fans are going to have the same sort of reaction as Dave and I've had um, initially and that they won't go back. And I think that once they do go back, and I know that I've got a, one of the, the people in our group, um, he's had the same reaction and he's just said, no, I'm not going to go back. And I said that, and if it wasn't for my 15-year-old son, I probably wouldn't have either. But I'm so glad that I did. And I think that this is what fans need to do. But it just runs that risk of the, the fans not going back for a second watching because I think that's what's going to sell the film. So, yeah. That's just my take. Mm. So, Dave, I know you had a kind of a hard stop tonight, too. Um, yeah, it's coming up on 1030 for me. So I will bid the guys adieu and have fun with the rest of your discussion. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks, Dave. Oscar well. Dave. Uh, what, what am I supposed to say? Uh, oh, yeah. Keep the dice rolling, Gamer Nation. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Dave. Um, okay, guys, we just need to get Chris out of here, and then we've taken over the show. <laughs> too easy. Oh, oh, too easy. You told him the plan. You told him the plan. You weren't supposed to tell him the plan. He's not high-ranked enough to know the plan. Victory is certain. I can let down my guard in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all of this, again, leads to the ultimate finale of the film, which was on Crate. Um, which I really like that planet. 
I dislike that there are two different crates in the Star Wars universe. Um, Sorry. But I can deal with that. As in Crate Dragon. Yes, which is spelled differently and is a different place. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> it is. Big galaxy, Chris. <laughs> it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a big galaxy. Um, but let's talk about the final encounter. I mean, we had... We had we had some interesting celebrity cameos. The first one I physically noticed uh, was Gareth Edwards. I don't know if you guys noticed. Gareth Edwards was yeah, was, yeah. was in the at, trench. I looked at Donald and I said, "Was that him?" And Donald Donald gets in this zone where you can't breathe on him when he's watching a movie, or he'll freak out. My and kind he of just kind of waved me off, like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. but it was. I was glad to know I wasn't wrong. That's yeah. That's 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 epic. So there there were a few other. That was one good cameo. Apparently there were a ton of other stormtrooper cameos, but they all hit the cutting room floor. Um, and it's been confirmed by John Boyega and the production staff that Prince William and Prince Harry uh, were both extra stormtroopers. Wow. Um, they were in an elevator scene. Something. Yeah, like in an elevator like scene. That. But it, it it ended up on the cutting room floor, and there were a few other big names that, that did it. Um, the singer Ellie Goulding was one of the resistance uh, extras. Um, stuff like that. Um, wow. So, yeah, interesting stuff. But so, anyway, uh, so this final scene, uh, this final area where, where they're on crate, obviously, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of callbacks. You've got a, you know, Empire Strikes Back style trench and, you know, defense trench. And um, you've got. Uh, uh, you know the the walkers incoming, but but it all it all sort of comes down to Luke and the projected vision, which took a lot of people for a loop. Now, even in, I haven't even had my second watching, but in retrospect, it's like it's like watching The Sixth Sense or The Fight Club. They give you so many clues. <laughs> yes, they yep. Yep. they yep. Yep. they yeah, really nice. do, and not even the obvious stuff like, "Hey, his hair's not gray anymore," and "Where'd that outfit come from?" and "I thought that lightsaber was destroyed." Like that's the that's the big stuff, but there's little stuff they really do give you. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know. Talk, talk amongst yourselves. Coffee talk. What there, thoughts? Okay, um, one continuity issue that I have a little bit of a problem with. Uh, and this is the only sort of artifact of the problems that I had with the film in the first place, uh, was in that sequence, we have all of the, the, um, uh, the, the first order firing willy nilly at him, um, at Luke. And all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's fine. And so all of the, the ground at this point, obviously the salt has been blown away. So we've just left with the red dirt. We go into the fight between Kylo and, and Luke, and then we've got this sequence. Even at the start of that sequence, it's still all red around. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we have that point where they show you again another hint that Luke isn't actually there when Luke's um, feet move and you don't see the the uh, the, 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 the salt move. Yes. First place. That's the only <laughs> – it's a continuity error that – just drives me nuts. I, I, I think took it to be that the salt settled, like it got kicked up into the air and then it kind of would settle back down. But I get yeah, what you're I mean, saying. It, it was snowing back down uh, throughout their discussion. It, I think it probably could have been uh, illustrated a little more graphically, or, you know, as a as a as a gradient of mm-hmm. now there's a little bit of white, now there's a little more white back and stuff, and that that would have been better. But um, but yeah, that's that's the way I took it as well. 
yeah. So that was that. That was the only issue that I had really. In a, I mean, it's a really minor quibble. You didn't like. You didn't have a problem with the dice uh, lasting after Luke's death. No, in the same sort of way that I didn't have a problem with um, uh, the connection between Ray and um, Kylo happening after, well and truly after. See, I, um, I the, think uh, after um, Snoke died. See, I think that at this point, uh, Ray and, and Kylo may be um, inextricably linked at this point from, from now on. Or it could be that as she was shutting the, the door of the Falcon, she was shutting the door on that link. Um, but I, I feel like it, it, you know, Snoke had kind of opened that passage and I, I could see it uh, continuing potentially. But I mean, ultimately, when it comes to that scene about asking that question, well, you know, how could the, the dice still exist? Yeah. Not as though we can do a split-screen Star Wars of what's happening at exactly the same time. This is Star Wars, it's not 24. So we we have to just sort of, you know, go with it a little bit to say that, okay, yes, Luke passed, but, yeah, sure, uh, you know, um, that's going to take a little bit of time to flow on, I guess. That's my take anyway. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, but I have to say, yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I have to say that that scene with Luke and Kylo was so epic. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat and when, when he, he literally points all the guns at Luke, I'm like, oh my God, you know, Luke's going to do some awesome lightsaber move or force deflected or whatever. Cause I hadn't caught on yet that he wasn't physically there. Right. And, and then the barrage happens and it's just this mini nuclear explosion and it's just like, oh God! And and all these thoughts run through your mind. Like, did he did he kill himself? Did he just allow himself to be killed to make a point? Is there something I'm missing? And then when the dust settles and he's still there, you're just like, oh my God, he's a force god. Okay, <laughs> it's like it's like that, that that's it. He's a and force the, god. And then the shoulder dust off. Was oh, uh, so good. That was that was the you can't curse and do things in Star Wars, but if he could have flipped him off, he would have. But that was that was amazing. <laughs> I, 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 look, I, I thought and predicted, and, and of all the predictions I had, the one I had was there's no way Luke's not going to kick ass. They, they're not dusting this character off and him not going to get his moment. And everything I built up into my mind of what that moment could be, this eclipsed it. it this is so much better than he gets the green lightsaber out and fights Kylo Ren, and then Ren kills the mask. Like, it, this was handled with such grace and intelligence and... Um, I, it, no one saw this coming. I, there's not a soul in the theater that said, ah, yeah, I totally get that. I totally saw it. Nobody knew this was coming. Um, uh, everyone noticed the differences. I know I did the big ones. I was like, I, the, the lightsaber, well, he could have made a new one. It's been 30 years. You know, all these things are going in my head and for what to happen happened. That's what, if you watch Looper, that's what, those kind of moments, that's what that movie's like full of, right? And this was classic Ryan Johnson. It had him written all over it. Um, I thought it was perfect and and interesting. Uh, Chris, I dare you the second time you see it, not to cry again at Luke's death. It hit me harder Mm. the second time. The first time it was more shocking. And this second time, knowing it was coming and watching him and watching him act that moment. And he was brilliant. Um, It's... The ending could not have been better. Um, I don't know how you top it. It was great. Yeah. This this whole movie for me was was subverting expectations and bucking tre- Star Wars trend that 
man, when he sits on that rock and you get the binary sunset callback, that was just Ryan Johnson going, oh, I'll keep one thing sacred, (laughs) (laughs) and it's going to hurt. So I I love that whole sequence. I... Luke Luke saying see you around kid at the end was amazing and I, I've seen a lot of theories about Luke coming back as a force ghost and Obi wanting it up with with Ray but my my buddy Philip who's also on Eberron renewed and the knowledge check with me um, said he would love it if Luke followed up with that statement and his force ghost torments Kylo throughout episode yes. nine <laughs> and just keeps showing up yes well you know, speaking well, of torment, and in, well, in what he said, yeah, go ahead, Donald. Yeah, uh, one thing that I, I, I think that whole sequence with Kylo and Luke at the end really—I mean, even though he was, you know, literally tossing uh, Hux uh, against the wall like a puppet—I mean, Hux has something on Kylo at this point, and so he's—he's he's definitely, you know, Kylo's failure couldn't have been more complete there on crate. And so I think I think that's going to be a big thing. They they were kind of you know battling sons for a while on, on on in episode seven and in the beginning of this, and then you know Kylo certainly exerted his his authority. And I think I think Hux totally has the upper hand at this point. Yeah, I mean I I think Kylo is very lucky that he has the supreme leader title, or else I, I don't know what how they can reprimand him for his utter and complete failure now that he's the top guy, but. Something's credibility. I mean, yeah, something's got to be coming his way. I mean, I imagine if Hux wanted to perform a coup with the military, he he would not have a difficult time right now. Mm. Um, I I don't think a force ghost is coming to to Kylo, and and the reason is a a a line Luke had when he said, "If you strike me down, I will be with you always, just like your dad." But he didn't mm. mean literally. He meant what Snoke kept pointing out was. Ever since you killed him, he goes, I didn't hesitate. He's like, yeah, and it it crushed it, split your soul. Ever since you did, now you're conflicted. You weren't before you did it, now you are, and it messed you up. And I think that's what Luke was really getting. And it's going to get worse inside your head, and you know it. Um, but anyway, I liked that whole dynamic. That was great. No, I, I did, and... You know, there were there were uh, three moments in the film where I cried, and that was one of them. Uh, was was watching Luke go. I, it was serene. It was perfect. It was, um, and I wasn't I wasn't even angry about it. So many people are upset about it, and I I know I, it it's perfect. Um, I mean, this is what passing the torch looks like, and and when it when it's done well, when it's done well and properly well, this is what passing. The what torch were the looks like. What were the other two moments? The message um the other two moments for me uh god i'm trying to remember uh um the dice when he hands her the dice and and you know han is dead and it's this link between the three um that was that was one of them um absolutely indefinitely um God, I think the other one was uh well I think when when Leia got sucked out the airlock initially, I thought she was I thought she was dead. I thought they were going to kill kill her that way. And and that that made me well up pretty heavy. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh for me one of the big uh parts where I I cried was when uh Holda was saying goodbye to Leia. And uh, staying staying behind on the on the the Raddus. I th- I thought that was a tremendous end to her arc as a character, and I, I'd 
um, you know, as uh, Leia said, too many losses, and and uh, it, that just made me well up because I was thinking about Carrie. Yeah, oh. I one. had a real problem with, all the way through just with Carrie. I just yeah, I teared up every single time up because I'm a massive fan of Carrie Fisher. I think we are in a way. Um, but yeah, just every time that she turned up on film, it was just like, is this going to be it? Is this the last time I'm going to see her? Um, but, uh, yeah, she went all the way through, which was just real tearjerker bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I felt, I, yeah, I, I, I felt the same. It was, it was, it was a very difficult to, to watch her. Um, all things considered. Um, I didn't. I may have gotten. I mean, I think that's what part of the. No, I think that may be part of the mourning that people have after the movie, the first time through. It's not just Luke you watch die. I I had trouble with the last shot, realizing that was the last of of Carrie, and um, that I wasn't sad during any of the other moments in the movie, um, with seeing Carrie. I mean, I I was overall in that last shot in the Falcon happens and she has a conversation and it hit me. This is the last scene. That's it. And I wonder if those two things combined being the last of the original three kind of inadvertently, you know, inadvertently became the last image that, that, or the lasting feeling people had when they left, if they had trouble. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, now the thing is, I, the, the scene with Holdo saying goodbye to Leia may have had more emotional impact for me, but at the time, I just fucking hated Holdo, um, and I thought her character was stupid, and that she was stupid, and and so no, it didn't hold any emotional impact for me. I'm like, oh, good, you're gonna die. Good, go die. Well, you did I, like I the. Like now. <laughs> well, you did like how she died, right? Like okay, so said, yeah, like, that was that. That was amazing. one of the one of the most c- cinema just incredible utterly incredible and and it was it was so 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 good um you know it's like yep i'm just gonna ram my ship into another ship until they're both destroyed and and that's what she did she just happened to do it at light speed um i mean and 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 quite frankly if the ship had full fuel and it rammed into it anyway it probably would have had a very similar effect if not the same effect but you know she just did it at light speed and and the way in which it was filmed the silence that moment of silence that was there yeah. oh it was so good and just that each of those sort of uh, when the bits were obviously going off in a hyperspace where there was just sort of leaving this these streaks wow yeah great sequence yeah it was it was utterly wonderful um utterly wonderful so okay guys i'm with West, what he just said, chat, where he's basically said that uh, yeah, the next film will open up with um, with Carrie's funeral. It like, may. Oh, sorry, Liar's funeral. May. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, side note. Well, okay, we've 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 well, spent over two and a half hours talking about this film. Now we talked about how some ways that we can easily incorporate it into our games. But to kind of conclude, I want to talk about the key themes this film presents. And we've been beating around them for some time and, and sort of talking about them in very sly ways. But there are some, some big, big, big themes. And 
there are two that I think are paramount for me, and they were telegraphed pretty basically in this film. They were actually said by by main characters. Um, and the first one, which was even first communicated in uh, the full trailer for this film, was Let the Past Die. Um, mm. You know, and, and it, it's something, the more I think about it, as a complete and unabashed Star Wars fan, um, when I look at the world that they've written 30 years after uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, you know, 40 years, um, every hero, every new hero in this story is one who is fighting a conflict that they didn't start. Um, a conflict that was created by the old generation that the old generation failed to finish. Um, and there's an overwhelming theme here that the last generation failed you in some way. Um, and the, the overwhelming struggle is about making it your fight for your reasons. And that's, that's Ray's underlying message. That's definitely Finn's arc. Um, you know, and, and every, everyone. And, you know, in, in terms of that theme, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. You know, is, is this representative of a, of a moving on for Star Wars overall? And if I had to boil this down into a nutshell, it's basically fanboyism versus film growth. You know, people like myself had some dissatisfaction with episode seven because it was just more of the same. And, People like myself absolutely adored a film like Rogue One because it told me completely new things that I was not aware of with new characters and new stories. And it, um, it, it actually ran a fine line of giving you that plus more of the same, but that is a, that is a moonshot that, that you can't recreate probably ever again. Um, so, you know, is, is, am I making a mountain out of a mole here, guys? Or is this, is this film representative of the underlying growth in the Star Wars fandom? Oh, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Chris. Um, I mean, I, I took that line from Kylo, exactly what you said it, of that at some point these movies have to stop being about the Skywalkers. At some point, these movies have to stop being about Darth Vader's legacy. Like he's, he's the, the prime primary character of the first six movies, but eventually you got to move, move on. And, and I really think it was directly speaking to the fandom of like you, these films, what to do moving forward cannot be their full potential. If you're still holding on to movies that came out 40 years ago, because Disney's not taking away, taking them away from you. Lucasfilm isn't saying you are not allowed to watch episode four ever again. Like it, it's time to, I mean, there's a, there's a creative writing term called kill your darlings, which is just that the things that you love the most should be the things that you edit out just to make yourself more efficient in your writing. And I think that that speaks well for fandom of like kill, kill the things that you love the most about these previous films before you go into the new ones. Otherwise, like Scott said, like you have to turn your brain off and you have to acknowledge that you are never going to be six years old again and watching these films like you did the first time. And the fandom as a whole has a hard time with that. And I think, I, I think 
that's exactly what Kylo was saying. And I think Ray is the the fandom stand in. I mean, she's the one that's asking all the to hold on to Han and to Luke. And Kylo is the the one driving everything forward. That's why I think people like him as a villain now, because he's really inciting the action of these movies, especially with The Last Jedi. He's the one pushing things forward. But I agree with what you said. I think it's dangerous if you start going down and saying that we're letting everything go completely because it's easy, I think, to forget who Kylo actually is because he's not a character. He's a bad guy. So we kind of don't necessarily (laughs) see him in characters. Yes, we've got three characters who are not Skywalkers in any way, shape, or form, but we've got a bad guy who is. So that Skywalker lineage is still this saga, but it's just as long as as Kylo Ren's alive. This is a Skywalker saga story. Absolutely. I'll, I'll add one thing. Donald and I had a conversation. We've we've had it a couple of times when we did the, the defense of the prequels and we walked through the things about them to celebrate. And we talked at length on our show about episode seven. And we really did a deep analysis of, of the the stories and the themes and the tropes and the plots and the things uh, that make seven and four similar but are they equal are they same are they knock off and 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 what we said was that there is a segment of fans that is going the original trilogy only and and they're not going to like anything else the, uh, there's a huge segment of fans that like four and five they've talked them into hating six even though they forget that they liked Ewoks as a kid and it's a <laughs> metaphor for the Vietnam War and then they got older and they don't care and they're fuzzy so screw those things so they say they like we can't have any porgs in here because it's not gritty and dark. And they liked Rogue One because it grabbed everything they liked and then built on it. But they hate everything else. And I think you're right, Chris. I think this film is a definitive you need to be left behind. Because not what I said was if you keep going to these movies, we were responding to people on boards. Like if 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 you keep hating these, if you haven't seen a Star Wars movie you've liked since 1980. Stop going. They're not going to be better. They're not going to get better than what you're seeing. <laughs> it, it, it's too. I mean, I'm. I'm, and that's fine. Keep watching four and five on a loop. That's cool. That's okay. No, all, all good, all good. But if 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 you haven't seen a movie release since then, that you liked. I, I, I think this movie is absolutely tearing all that up, throwing it away, and going. Well, it's good to have you on the train ride. I, I guess. I for a yeah, while. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, why do that to yourself? Uh, just keep holding out hope that that somebody's going to make something better than what you what you loved as a child and hold in such a high esteem that you 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 can never surpass it. Uh, like Scott said, you just don't even try. Uh, you know, just don't put yourself through that. Don't put you know don't versions on the internet uh, for things that you you of course you knew going into it that you were going to hate because there was no chance that it was ever meet that standard and uh yeah okay now okay now now here's the deal (laughs) we've said all this but this doesn't mean doom and gloom and i don't believe and I'm, i'm coming around to this i don't believe the intent is to burn the house down and build something new that's not it at all and some of our more clever chat listeners are bringing this up okay well yeah let the past die but 
Rey's going to continue the Jedi Order. And in fact, she took those Jedi texts with them. And based on the analysis that we've all done, it's very clear that Episode Nine is going to focus on Kylo and the Skywalker legacy. And, uh, okay, well, uh, well, this all draws into what I feel is the second major theme of this film, and perhaps the more important one. And it is, whereas the first theme was, of course, echoed by the negative character of Kylo Ren, the second theme, perhaps very appropriately, is stated by the new character of Rose Tico, who <laughs> represents the fanboy who represents the fangirl in all of us, who's just happy to be there. And that theme is to, and I, I forget her exact words, but basically, don't fight what you hate, save what you love. Now, this is, of course, an underlying theme that pins the struggles of Kylo Ren, a lesson he fails to learn, but ultimately is, is a, a realization that was had by Luke, a realization in this film, a realization that was had by Finn um, and ultimately Poe and Ray as well. And it's that, that underpinning theme. But at the same time, it is the what as dark rises, light rises to meet it. Right. And this is the light. They're not throwing things away. It's not about it's about saving what you love. And there are so many things about Star Wars that are being gleefully carried forward in these films. There's so many things that they're never going to let go. All the wonderful stuff that we enjoy um, is, is being kept. And when you're willing to cast aside your preconceived notions and think about what you love about Star Wars in the first place, and especially on a second viewing, you'll, you'll see those things. And they're carried forward. And it's very clear to me, at least, that they're carrying that forward into the future films as well. Um, so, thoughts on that? I thought about today that that theme could be argued was even the theme of Empire Strikes, or not Empire Strikes, Return of the Jedi. Because Yoda and Ben had spent two movies telling Luke, you have to go kill him. You have to kill Vader. There's no mm. hope. There's nothing else you can do. you got to go kill Vader. And he saved him. He was the only one that thought done. Um, in fact, to the point where even in when you see in Rebels, Obi-Wan doesn't believe the prophecy anymore. He thinks Luke is the chosen one. He doesn't believe it was. Right. Um, so I, 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 I agree. I, I, it is sad to me that I've seen some poking fun at this theme, um, because it was, it was fantastic. Um, I even loved Rose right before she said it. She said, I saved you dummy. Like I had my hero moment. You didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, um, uh, no, that theme, uh, I would argue is not only in this film, it's, it's been in star Wars films before and it is, it is very, very pervasive in this movie. And, um, it's it's and that uh, Leia tried to get Poe to see it. Haldo tried to get Poe to see it. You know, Rose tried to get it, Finn to see it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Rose suddenly become my favorite character of all time. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I said it on one of the boards as well um, that uh, she is basically the protagonist without being the protagonist. She is us thrown into a film and, uh, you know, told, go play. Because that's effectively, you know, she's a maintenance worker. And all of a sudden, her hero, you know, you're Finn. You're, the, you're this hero that 
um, yeah, there's just there's so many messages which I think that Rose brings to the table that it's like the the everyman, the the every person that uh, that is showing these people don't forget where you've come from, and I think that message too. But yes, I love Rose; she's great. Eric, any thoughts yes. on, the, on the final thing? <laughs> no, I, I I love that final theme, and I I think it it really gives us a, a clue of Finn's arc to come because he's had this chip on his shoulder about the First Order, and I think that translates once again, like we've been talking about these themes in relation to the fandom and just i mean what the what the movie defenders talk about on their show constantly of going going into these things with the intent to love it with the intent to enjoy it with the intent to experiencing something special as opposed to finding the things that you're going to hate about it and and i think that that's throughout this whole movie i think it can even be traced back to uh the force awakens I think the, um, but I, I think what's interesting about this theme when I was really thinking about it is it's what, it's what doomed Anakin mm. save what you love. Like it's just an interesting, once again, mirroring the star Wars movies because it's one long drawn out saga. And so I think there might be something compelling coming in episode nine. If they, make if they they intend for that connection to be made of of anakin's fall vader's fall and his salvation was motivated by love and maybe that speaks to what we're going to see with kylo but yeah good point donald that'd be great if that was the case yeah no i i i can't say more than what you guys have already said is wonderful all all i can say is at this point i think that 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 uh, quote from rose is the new motto of the movie defenders. So that's uh... <laughs> yeah. How come the most intelligent thing said so far about our show by anyone on our show? Well, see what I'm what I'm taking away from that is that you should have us all guesting on your show more often. Um, <laughs> God dang, no kidding, right? Go with it. We'll we'll yeah, we'll we'll go with it. We'll have fun. Well, and and you mentioning Ray taking the books and and the Jedi Order living on, saving what you love, saving those books. I think it's an important distinction, and I don't know this for certain. Is that's not going to be the same Jedi Order, and it plays into kind of that fandom uh, dismissal the prequels. Even though I don't think we were meant to see the Jedi as infallible in the prequels, they were supposed to be flawed, and so I think we're going to see the original intent of the Jedi born in, in Ray, kind of like what a lot of people thought we were going to see Luke training Ray in when we thought we one role of like the original uh, undiluted Jedi ways. And so I'm excited to see if we do get that of Jedi, a more balanced Jedi, a less dogmatic Jedi. Yeah, I, I would agree. Completely agree. I've said it elsewhere, and basically, the are about your um, old forgotten traditions, <laughs> and I think that that's one. <laughs> that's what we mean. 
that the Jedi were flawed and I won't go into religious beliefs and, and whatever else, but, but uh, ultimately when it comes to the Force, it, it doesn't care whether you're a Force tradition, whether it be Hindu, whether it be um, uh, the Jedi or the Sith, it doesn't care. And that's something that you can probably take away from for, for your own games as well. But, um, you know, the, the Force just sees it as it is, not as how people manipulating it want you to. Mm. There you go. That's far too deep for uh, tonight's viewing, so I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> well, listen, guys, we've been John for three hours at this point. Um. I want to thank all of you for coming on um, uh, specifically and, and Dave and Phil, who I, I ironically had to leave before any of, re- any of the rest of us did. Um, uh, guys, we're really appreciative for you guys coming on. We're really appreciative for your thoughts and your feedback. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. So thank you, all of you. It was a blast. Thank you. And for listeners out there, obviously, be sure to check out uh, the Dice Pool podcast, which is just out there. And if you're listening to this show regularly and you're playing FFG Star Wars, you need to also be playing Genesis. So you need to go listen to that show as well. Um, And if you want, honestly, some of the more insightful comments you'll ever get on D&D 5th Edition, but also one of the better live play shows we have, I really encourage you to also check out uh, the Geek Pantheon and uh, one of its accompanying podcasts, uh, Eberron Renewed. Um, which is, is also a wonderful show full of twists and turns. And, of course, if it's not been made apparent at this point, if you really want to get your movie Jones on and really discuss uh, good geeky fandom films that, that are in need of defense, uh, be sure to check out the movie Defenders. Um, Gamer Nation, we've talked about a lot, and and it, just sitting here as we're going through this, and I'm, I'm reading our own chat boards here, um you know, for, for the, the, the scores of people that are watching this episode live, um, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of divisiveness around this film, um, which is, is, is good. It means there's passion. Okay. And, and that's wonderful. We wouldn't be involved in this fandom at all if we weren't passionate about it. Um, but you know, I, I think the underlying messages I would hope you'd take away is if you've only seen it once, go see it again. Um, I have yet to talk to a single person who didn't say it got better, remarkably better with the second or third viewing. And, you know, I I think this is a film with a lot packed into it. And it's so jarring in terms of what it does to you that you can tend to focus only on a couple things that jar you instead of uh, appreciating the the whole picture. Um, And again, when it comes to these wonderful discussions we're having, remember that the past doesn't really matter. It can change. But at the same time, there are things in the past that we love and we want to work to save them. And as fans and gamers, uh, that's really all we can do. And uh, I really enjoyed the film. Um, I thought it was a a worthy addition to the Star Wars library. Um, And I'm eager and mildly scared to see what episode nine brings us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, if you've learned anything chris you let it all go you walk in you just have a good time <laughs> kick back relax 
but it's star wars and of course we know this is all going to be a moot point when solo comes out because that film's gonna blow am i right am i right i'm right i'm 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 hoping i'm holding out hope (laughs) (laughs) all right guys well gamer nation thank you for tuning in uh have a happy 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 holiday season everyone if we don't talk to you sooner this is gm chris wishing you peace love, and good gaming. You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William Thiel. This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and Gamer Nation LFC. (laughs) 